Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We've got the whole crew here today. Uh, my name is Brian Vitali. With me, I have Josh Torres. Hola. Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? We are nearing the end of October already, surprisingly. Uh, we had a lot of games released in just the last couple of days, uh, both new releases as well as some highly anticipated ports. Uh, as of the time of recording just a day ago, we got the official release of Persona 5 Royal on Steam and Switch, as I was corrected uh, last week, and Xbox. And Xbox. Uh, we, Yeah, I said Xbox. And then we got uh, we had a few like indie or uh, AA games that came out uh, in the last couple of days We have that we'll talk about a few at the start of the podcast here. Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher and Batora Lost Haven. Uh, also, a couple days ago, we had what else? Oh, yeah, Gotham Knights. Uh, we probably won't be talking about that, at least not this week. Uh, if we get morbidly curious in the coming weeks uh, and find some time, we might do that, but uh, won't be covering that here. Uh, to and be then, clear, of course, I just want to say we requested review code and then they just didn't give us any. So that's that. <laughs> Oh yeah, so yeah, we were we were trying to get who Scott on it, but just they yeah, just we we had people who, interested in playing it, and then we asked, we're like, hey, we want to review this. Maybe, Are they you know, still normally at playing it? Maybe they spared know. us, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> they saw my uh, my preview was like this. This has potential, but it's a little bit disappointing right now. That that, that is okay. That is the weird part. Like you actually like got face to face, you know, with them too. Yeah, yeah. And the so. thing that really gets me is that apparently a lot of people just had like parsec streams for checking out like gotham knights for previews so it's like no i to be clear i was like invited to the warner brothers offices and i played it in person on a ps5 like i think that and like usually like, when you go to those events like usually you get like that's usually the hookup that you would need to like get a review code as well like usually if you're you're invited in in person to preview the game usually they're like okay we'll send you a review code you know like closer to release or something after that you know um usually but this is a, a weird very weird case i guess that mario and rabbins game also came out i that kind of is in yeah, it sure gets the tricky one? with the genre blending yeah. like is this a tactical rpg or is it just pure tactics you know and it's like that covering xcom you know is like is xcom rpg you know would you yeah. consider what and then you know some people would say yes some people would say no and then we're here left kind of like 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 people get at, like angry at us when we cover Monster Hunter. Right? Even Capcom says it's an RPG. And they're like, no, it's not. Fuck you. It's like, all right, well. <laughs> well, the excuse we could use for Monster Hunter now is that we all we generally cover spin-offs for RPGs. And guess what? Monster Hunter Stories 2 is very much a JRPG. <laughs> yeah, just... so, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's just one of those things. Like it's one of it's one of those like I I hear the the new Mario and Rabbids uh, two like uh, is pretty good, but like it's come one of those things. It's like does it fall in our, in our house? Maybe maybe not. So it's kind of like that weird. Well, I think I, more importantly is just if anyone's interested. It's one of those things yeah. where if a, if a contributor to the site it says I want to write about this, usually maybe not in every case, but usually we can make it work. But if no one's interested, then we're not gonna like you know, hold someone under a barrel and be like, no, you got to write about this. You're, you're obligated. <laughs> there are a few games where you're obligated, like Final Fantasy or Elden Ring or things like that. But in most cases, nah, which is kind of a lucky, uh, a lucky benefit that we got to get at a site of our scale. Uh, no one's interested in FF16 in our site. Everyone's like, eh, we no, have to have to is that an excuse? 
<laughs> that's very much an excuse, you know. Uh, everyone's still, especially with the with the price increase a few uh, weeks back on it. Mm-hmm. So at the start of this podcast here, uh, normally we try to pick a headliner game for the week, and there are you know obviously fifty plus weeks in a year, so not every week do we get that. So we're gonna kind of go back to our old style and just kind of go around the room and talk about what we've been playing. Luckily, both Adam and Josh have been playing some of the new releases that I just mentioned. So we'll go ahead and start with those. Uh, and then Chow has gone back to a game that we have thought of very highly on the site that we haven't talked about it on this podcast in a good long while. And then we'll just go wrap it up with what James and I have been doing and before we go into the big news, which will be a lot of Square Enix-focused titles and a lot of Falcom stuff, kind of similar to last week on that. So we're going to start out with what Adam has been playing. Adam, a couple of weeks ago, was playing, uh, would you call Asteragos an indie RPG? It's a debut project from that studio. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. And this week, you're kind of doing the same sort of thing with another uh, another game that I've seen us cover on the site. I assume that you've written most of the news articles for it. They came out a couple of days ago called Batora Lost Haven. Now, for those that read that title and don't have anything come to mind, can you just kind of explain to us what Batora Lost Haven is, what it looks like, maybe if you know uh, any insight on who developed it, and then what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, so... This is a game also from an indie studio, but it's not. It's the studio is Stormmind Games. It's not their first game. They also released uh, the remothered Tormented Fathers like horror game. I know nothing about that game, but that was a game that released you know a couple of years ago, several years ago now. Um, so this Batora Lost Haven is their second game, and so this game is an isometric kind of almost like a twin stick shooter sort of RPG where you have like a like a top-down view, controlling your character, and use one stick to aim and one stick to move sort of thing. And so this game... Is it single-player only? Yeah, it's single-player. But I'm just going to come out and say it. I am really not feeling it, like, at all. Um, oh, no. So, yeah. That's not, you know, I played it because I was, thought it was interesting, but I'm not. But so I'm a, I haven't finished the game. I'm maybe halfway through it, roughly or so. The the premise of the game is that Earth has basically been partially like destroyed in like some sort of big cataclysmic event that hasn't been really been revealed exactly why or how that happened. But your character, who is a young woman named Avril, are basically planet hopping to other planets um, with the help of these sort of like godlike figures to basically f- save the universe. You know, in a very broad sense. Um, but things I don't like about the game, one, the dialogue is extremely quippy. Like, imagine the worst, like, type of, I don't know, Marvel snip dialogue where you have, like, zingers and jokes and just kind of irreverent. Yeah, and then makes up the camera, you know, after the line and all that. Sorry? Like, it's, that. Like, it's, like, it's, like one of, it's like one of those... Like the, the the typical like Marvel dialogue of like it's like lighthearted, yeah, and, and then like and like whenever they make like the a, a line or a, a joke, they like kind of like subtly like wink at the camera. Yeah, so, yeah. It's there's just like even in moments that should be serious, there's just a lot of like irreverent, like this is a zinger or kind of like a joke or a sarcasm mm-hmm. or whatever, and it's just kind of like it got old really fast and it hasn't right. let up, and I'm just like, oh man. And I just want to clarify, you're 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 not saying it's like that type of dialogue is inherently bad this game is just overwrought with it i mean i will say i think that dialogue is kind of inherently bad especially okay, if you, i will put words in it 
Like, I don't mind if there's like an occasional joke or something, but it's just like this, it's just like full of it. And it's just like, it's, it's, like, it's like fine if like, if it's, it's fine, it's like a comedy film, but he's not playing it for to get a comedy film out of it, you know? Yeah. But also, like, the game is ostensibly an RPG, but it's, it's extremely straightforward and like tunneled, linear, narrow path. In terms of, and I mean that in almost a literal sense, as well as just, you know, the game structure itself, where you pretty much are always just going down a very straight path. There are no side quests in this game. You're just kind of going down the game path and you're fighting enemies on the way and you're basically just dialogue and battles. But then even for like combat, there's no gear, there's no skill tree, there's nothing to basically like customize your how you approach the game in terms of like is there a certain weapon you like are there certain skills you like is there a certain you know combination or you just have the same weapon no it's just the same weapon and it's just so okay so what is there i'm sorry (laughs) yeah exactly you you have like okay so the gameplay of the game is you have two forms you have a physical form and like a spiritual form the physical form you basically have a big like broadsword and it's more close range attacking up front dodge rolling uh, again this is like an isometric game so kind of imagine i don't know like diablo barbarian or something you know um getting up close and personal attacking with your broadsword dodge rolling out of the way you do gain a skills for like for example there's a skill where you can sort of like do a leaping slash and then another skill where you can do like a tornado where you like spin your broadsword in like a full 360 degree circle and whatnot again no skill tree those are just skills you have with the sword and then the other form, the spiritual form, is more like a ranged attack. So you have you shoot little like purple bullets from a distance. They're not as strong, but you're you know you're safe because you're at a distance. You gain you, ha- you have skills in this form that are more like uh, like a like a bigger like blast, if you will, rather than a bullet. And then you also get like a tornado that you can summon. So how the game works, it's basically its conceit is that there are certain enemies that are weak to the physical form and certain enemies that are weak to the spiritual form and so when you attack enemies you're basically switching between forms kind of constantly all the time so that's basically the main gameplay is knowing how to use each form and switching between them at proper times it's just that that's really all it is like you you don't you can't change it up there's no customization at all no gear no weapon types no skills that you can choose like i want this skill or this skill the only thing that comes close to that is that you do gain these runes in the game. That are you? These are the only things you can equip in the game are runes. And they have things that are just like, for example, you can buy a rune that's just like plus 50 attack. So it's like, okay, I guess I got an attack bonus. And then there are some runes that are have like a little bit of a trade-off where it's like plus 30 attack minus 5% critical rate. It's like, okay, there's a trade-off there. And then there's some runes that are like you gain, you have more health or whatever. That's really about it so far. I imagine that I probably still have a few skills to unlock just through like natural story progression. But like I said before, you don't like choose which skills you want to use or any sort of gameplay style because the gameplay style is is just set. It's there. And I kind of find that just a little disappointing. Um, that I saw that like when you were playing it and, and we were talking about it a little bit, like the, this game is, has a lot of like escort missions. Oh and, yeah. Like, like design. <laughs> so, so in this game, there's a lot of points in the game where you have like an ally 
And the ally, to be honest, is kind of useless. And if they die in battle, you have to like load the last checkpoint. And I was in a mission where my ally just kept dying. Um, and it's just, it's annoying. You know, you issue like any commands to them, like say, get the nope. fuck out of the way. All right. Nope. You have no control over them whatsoever. Now, here's the thing. Like when I play a game like this, this is mm-hmm. when I play any RPG really oftentimes, like I don't do this in, with any sort of intent or anything, but I oftentimes play through the game without like messing too much with my, like in this case, runes. So I was kind of like a little bit underleveled and a little bit weak, but I was fine. I was basically saving my my money to buy better runes later. But I, if I was just playing my character by myself, I think I'm good enough where I can dodge and take my time and defeat the enemies. But when you have an ally there just being a dork, like, okay, I actually have to like, I actually have to like buy better runes and whatnot and, um, and actually like power up my character. It's not how I normally play these games. I normally kind of like, I don't know, almost like restrict myself or challenge myself. But with the uh, yeah, base, basically, the, you don't need to min max your gear or your stats or your attributes because you can just play better. But the right, exactly, the ally can't do that. <laughs> exactly. So, like when you're playing like a more classic RPG, it's like maybe I won't buy the stronger, the the best weapon here because I'll buy them, I'll buy the best weapon at the next place or whatever, you know, and save your money until then. But no, here just like I had to do that because of the ally. And there's a lot of allies that you have to escort in this game and. If they die, you have to restart. So it was just kind of annoying. It didn't not not that bad, but still just kind of blah. And so far, the story's not really hooking me. Like I said, the characters I don't care about. The dialogue has kind of soured me on everything. Um, I would the game as you go through the game, you do get more skills, and that of course does make combat a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more interesting. But Otherwise, I'm not really feeling this. The art style is nice. The music is okay. That's about all I have to say. So I remember a couple of years ago, when, whenever you mention a game is a twin stick shooter, or a twin stick, not maybe not a shooter, but a twin stick game isometric view, I think of when we, me and you played through Darksiders Genesis and also kind of thought that that game wasn't very good. We scored it pretty poorly. Um, yep. Just wondering, like, I'm trying to think of like, a game that is that gameplay style that I actually do enjoy. Because I, I played like, like the isometric. The Ascent was also okay. I don't think I scored it very high. But yeah, that's another similar game where I just didn't quite feel it. I feel like a lot of times those games, if they have an action focus, they get like really spammy. Um, I think I prefer my combat to be like a slightly slower. Because I play plenty of isometric games like Fallout or... Uh, divinity or things like that where they where they're, they're either explicitly turn-based or they're real time with pause i'm trying to think of like an isometric action game that i really really enjoy and i'm kind of blanking so like i don't know may- maybe this is a sort of thing where i know you're the one that was looking at Batora lost haven for us and i wasn't the one playing it but just trying to think of like whether there's a game that there's a person who really does gel with that gameplay style and would actually find something out of this. I just feel kind of bad that we're opening with this game and then you feel like, ah, it's not that great. Uh, but I was gonna, before you kind of caveat it at the very end, I was gonna be like, how's the art style? How's the music? How's the story? And then you basically like rattled off all three of those and said, yeah, <laughs> not great or eh, fine. So I'm like trying to like flip through like my deck of cards here and be like, uh, how is the, uh, how is the UI? How is the menu? Oh, speaking of the UI, that, that... I, I, point, I mentioned oh, I wasn't expecting was to get here. No, no, no. The, the text box you have for your dialogue is like huge. It takes up like a third of the screen, and then the text in it is like tiny. 
like it takes up like it's like in this tiny in a corner of this giant text box you have your text and i was actually looking through the menu like is there a way to increase the text size and there's not you can change the text size for like the uh, some of the cinematic cutscenes, but not for like these the, the normal text box which most most of the dialogue is in. It, I mean, it's not not like a deal breaker any more than any other issue I have with the game. But it's just kind of like, why do I have this giant text box and this tiny text in it? It just feels kind of weird. Like this is how you designed how the game looks. Sure, I guess. So just to kind of like summarize your thoughts. It's is it more that you actually think the game is not good or just that it doesn't hook you and it's just more kind of bland and uninteresting? I mean, it's like obviously anything I say is just an opinion of mine. Of I guess course. when I play like an RPG, I, I tend to like some sort of, you know, I know some people hate this phrase, but player agency. Like I want to have some control over how the game plays, how my character is built, you know, my skill set, my loadout. You know, that's one, that's one big reason why I play RPGs is, you know, maybe a party configuration or a skill set. But here it's just like walking down the path, using the skills that are given to me in a story that I'm not really feeling with dialogue that is annoying the heck out of me. How do you and so I kind of wish I had more control over how it played. Sorry? How do you unlock skills again? Just like through the story? Uh, they're just, they're, it's just natural through the story. Like once you get past the second points. level, you gain a new skill. Yeah, okay. It's just at, during story progression. So, is there any sort of that? like dungeoning, like lock and key, Metroidvania puzzles? Uh, it's it's basically like linear paths, and then occasionally you'll get to a point where it's like, all right, you're in a little like circular path area where you need to find four thingamabobs, and then once you get the four thingamabobs, you can basically go through the next path to get to the the boss. But it's it's still the same. Like you walk down the path, fight an enemy, pick up the thingamabob, walk down, the, continue down the path, get the next one. So, not really, sort not of. Every, not every game is going to be a winner, you know. Yeah. Well, that's basically the the summary. Yeah, it's not like I'm. It's not like I decided to play this game to like hate on it. I'm like, yeah, hey, this looks interesting, and I'm like, no, I'm not not really yeah. feeling this. It's not like we go uh, into a game like expecting to like dislike it. You know, just like we we play something. Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes. It's a, it doesn't drive with us. Not every game we're going to talk about on this podcast is always going to be, you know. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I think it was two weeks ago. I pretty much did the same thing with Asteragos. And by same thing, I mean just picked up a game, decided to play it. And uh, I don't think I've said it since, but I've beaten the game. And I, I like that game a fair bit. It has some issues. You know, a lot of it just due to its maybe its scope or its budget. But, hey, I think that game is actually halfway decent. Uh, pretty good for you know that that game was like a debut project from a new studio um and i think it's decent but this one is just i it's possible it'll get better in the second half but it's already sort of soured me quite a bit at this point so i don't think i'll find time to play it just being honest but i'm looking at like the games where i did the same thing this year and kind of like went out on a limb to try to find a diamond in the rough but the whole point of that phrase is that they're, you know, rare and hard to spot because I tried like Weird West earlier in the year, reviewed it, wasn't great. Tried uh, Outbound Ghost just a couple weeks ago, was the opposite of great. It was terrible. <laughs> but uh, um, you also played uh, Expedition War. Rome. You thought that was pretty good, right? That one was good. I liked Expeditions mm-hmm. Rome, though. I get the developer behind that. I wouldn't quite call indie. It's just more PC focused. So sometimes right. PC focused games, we don't have quite as much of a look in all right so yeah expeditions rome was one time back in january now where um uh i did go out on a limb and actually really quite enjoyed it but yeah i might like asteragos 
you haven't quite a, we talked about it on the podcast two two or three weeks ago um you I haven't tried two weeks to ago that? i will review it and just taking my time with it ah, okay well, uh, so that's Batora Lost Haven. We've had a few games kind of in that same boat where we want to make sure that we give these smaller titles a look in, but then also we're going to be honest if we're not if we're not quite feeling them, and that's just kind of where we're at right here. So, came out a couple of days ago. It's on. Uh, you played it on, on PC. Pretty much everything. I'm playing on PC. Yeah, it's on PC, Xbox, which PlayStation consoles. Well, thank you, Adam, for the honest look in for uh, Victoria Lost Haven. And then a game that came out, I believe, on the exact same day is something that Josh was able to look at. And it's another game where I recognize the title, but I don't quite know what the game actually is. And that is Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher. So, Josh, I'm going to hand this off to you and kind of in the same boat for what I kind of leaded with Adam for. If I recognize this title, but I don't quite know what Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher is, can you just kind of describe what this game is and then kind of go into like how your thoughts are on it so far? I don't blame people for not recognizing it. It's a very extremely niche title, especially these days. Um, people may recognize the Monster Rancher name because there was a popular cartoon back in the day. Yeah, um, Monster the Monster Rancher series, both the like the the show, the popular anime show, and like the games. It's um that series where in the games you, you can summon a monster to train and back in the day you could you pop in like music CDs into like your PlayStation to like summon these monsters like the like there there's this uh device called Dis Stones like in, in that world and like you go to an altar to uh summon a monster through a Dis Stone so that's how this was emulated uh like in the older games it's like hey you pop in like a music CD, you like buy an album or like a single back at the music shop and like you put it in and then whatever, you, you know, you'll summon a monster out of that, uh, you know, music CD. And that was like, okay, okay. Really, Sorry really to interrupt you. Thing back in the day. Sorry to interrupt you, but I remember we were talking about Monster Rancher coming to Switch a couple years ago and how they had to change how they implemented that feature because obviously you can't stick a CD in there. Yeah. And then for Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher, my brain just didn't tie that that is actually from the same IP. I just assumed it was using the, the terms Monster Rancher generically. I didn't realize it was tied to the same series. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like a spin-off of it because in this one you're you're it's collabing with like Ultraman. So like you're raising Ultraman villains. Guide the kaiju from that uh series uh, in this one and and that's a really fun spin to it. But yes, it's this is uh, like still the same basic foundation and framework. Um in in modern days like how they released it like in Japan, like you would like pick like a they have like a, a music database where they can um, summon monsters from. So, like, you pick an artist, you pick, like, an album, like, from, you know, from a set that they give you, and then you, whatever combination you do, um, you'll summon a monster from it. I don't know how they did it for the Western releases for that, but for this one, they took out that music selection because there might be some weird, oh, obviously going to be a licensing nightmare, um, especially overseas and working with record labels to, you know, get that feature in. Or even like the potential of it, right? So instead of um, having that music selection feature in the Western versions for this game, you like enter generic like keywords. So like, yeah, uh, put like type in keyword one, and then type in keyword two, and like you can, you can pretty much like type whatever you want, like, and it'll summon a monster from the two keywords that you feed it into. 
so obviously you know the community is gonna like go look into like okay what are like the the cool keywords to summon like the like the monsters that you want um but the 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 bit that's like the basic basic setup of like what monster rancher is um just from the outset um in this game um it is very much like the older monster rancher games where you um you most of the game is like kind of like a simulation almost of like training like your kaiju these big ultraman villains are gigantic and like you do you put them through like training drills and like uh, to get them beefed up to like make them participate in fights and tournaments and so forth like the 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 the, uh basic premise is funny because the story of this game how they justify it is like they do like this ancient mural of like you know there was once a time where like the kaiju and the humans like lived in peace but the kaiju like can't like you know because of like their size and like they kept like interfering with like the human world and like just making life you know uh harder for them which is kind of like a, a euphemization of like you know just the ultra what the conceit of ultraman is of like your like your your kids show like the kaiju go invade the city and ultraman has to go and like stop them from doing that so in in this game like uh the their solution was like they would uh put these uh kaiju into this stones and now all these kaiju have been like moved into like a remote island um and so peep and and then so that's this kind of like a a custom a customary thing in this world now for people who like can like go into this profession of like breeding kaiju and like becoming like you know a, a trainer uh on this remote island so you you take on the role of like this trainer uh who goes to this remote island uh, and um you go through like the introductory steps of like hey you know this is how you summon a kaiju in this game it also has like uh nfc cards that like come with like the like some of the physical editions so like there is a feature to like th- this will probably resonate more in japan obviously than like in, and then in other parts of the world where like you could actually like use like say like a transportation card or like a, an employee id card that have like a nfc features and like you can like tap that into like your switch controller and you can like summon a monster through that through that obviously well, that's, that's that's kind of a fun way to like have the same idea from the original that you can't really use anymore because people will still have the nfc capability and some everyday objects where they won't have music cds so this is yeah, another way to like yeah. generate use use that data set to generate a monster in game that's kind of a clever way to implement the same sort of concept in a modern day. yeah uh, yeah that because you know like I'll, that, that that was the big novelty back in the end you know as pro, uh, technology has progressed it's been trickier to do that so that feature will largely not apply to like you know people not in japan but so like where most of us here will just have to like rely on like the keywords which is you know fine uh, you know it's not a big deal um so uh and like it's someone like the series familiar like characters that people may know either from the show or older games like holly is like you know will be in this one uh as well the basic loop of the game once you like you know you summon your first monster and you're learning the tutorials is you you put them through training drills that uh raise uh like several stats so like it'd be strength intelligence defense tech um speed and so forth so on this on this uh remote island you can like pick like several places and each like there's like maybe set like seven different places that like correspond to each stat and under each place there is like like two uh training drills you can do um these selections are either like you can focus solely on that stat uh, to do the training drill there or there's a second one where you can like upgrade 
two stats but decrease one other. So let's say one of the activities is like try trying to uh, sculpt. Like they, these are really really um, silly training drills. It's not like very serious. So one of them is like trying to sculpt like a pyramid out of like a like a, a, a mountain of rock, you know, or just a mountain. So like, and it's like a pass field type of thing. So this activity might you know uh increase like tech which is like your accuracy and then like another one might be like um cultivating like uh like a plant like a farm and that might like raise like tech and like intelligence but like decrease speed uh and, and so that's kind of the trade-off that like you do it's like you can i can work on these two stats at the at the cost of another um and uh every time you like you do one of these uh training drills like uh, a week passes in the game, so you only have to worry about it's not like a, a day by day type of thing. It's just like uh, the, once you do an activity, uh, a week passes by, um, and what you're what you're trying to do is um, obviously get like your kaiju as strong as they can be uh, to participate in tournaments because tournaments is how you primarily make money in the game, and, and can, you'll you'll want money to um, use for other stuff that I'll detail later. So. Uh, as you're working on training drills for this kaiju, you can send them into tournaments, and that's where, like, primarily where all the fighting is done. And, and the fighting is not like super in depth, but it's like it's in depth enough where it'll have two kaiju face off uh, against each other for like you know for your kaiju on the left and then the enemy kaiju on the right, um, like a fighting they, game. So sort of like a fighting game. So because they, they do have health bars on them, and you you can have a maximum of four like moves that you can do like at any given time and like the the repertoire of moves that you can do uh depends on like your position to the monster so you have like an up close melee attack and then you may have a mid attack if you like you go a little bit further back from them then you have like a, a like a longer range attack after that mid if you're a little bit farther back and then you have like a like a lot long range attack if you're like really way back from the um enemy so it's, it's positioning is very important, and each of these moves uh, costs uh, a resource called guts, which is basically you know think about like MP in an RPG. You need this amount of guts to like fire off this move, and uh, each of these moves has like an accuracy rating to them uh, uh, when you hover over them. So and then, and then there'll be like sometimes a states where like you or the enemy kaiju could be like in a confused state. And like and, and during this state, like your accuracy uh, increases. So there'll be like times where you may want to like hold off on like firing a move because maybe your the enemy that you're fighting gets confused often. So you may want to um, you know wait till you fire off your next attack for a better chance for it to hit. There are also when you say an enemy gets confused often, is there something you gotta like build up a meter or is it just random? It feels like it feels like there, there's an element of RNG, and it feels like some personality types of like kaiju may get confused more often. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what like what stat affects confusion, um, or like how how often a, a kaiju may get confused. I, I'm not exactly sure what affects that, but it it, it for right now it feels like RNG because I'm I'm not okay. sure how that's managed. Um, so. Um, so that's ba- that, that's the basics of uh, combat. There, there is like more fine tuning that you can do. Where like like a kaiju, like uh, your starter kaiju may not like have like uh like all the attacks that uh, like that can cover all ranges. So maybe it'll have like an attack that that covers like the first three ranges. Like 
um, but maybe missing an attack that's like farther and farther back uh, or, or some sort. So you have to like plan around like what are your what are the ranges in which like your um, kaiju is effective at, and like what are its high damaging moves? What are the moves that like, you can fire often at like less damage? Uh, and then you, you have to strategize in comparison to like the enemies. So like before you fight an enemy, you can like uh, observe, you can like see their stat page and be like, okay, these are the, its attacks. It ha- like you can see like it has a really really powerful attack, but melee. I may want to like keep my distance from this enemy so it doesn't have a chance to fire that attack off. Or hey, it doesn't have an attack at this range, but I do, so I want to stay at this range so it can't attack me back because it doesn't have an attack at that range. Um, and then there there are other like actions you can do in combat that that are just attacks. Like if you're up close, you can like knock them back. These expend guts. Uh, and then there'll also be like a dash um, command where like if you really want to get up close and it's not giving you, you know, it's keeping its distance and you can't keep up, so you can like dash up to it at the expense of like you know some guts as well. So the like you know it's a uh, it, like the fighting system isn't like really in depth but it's like in depth enough to like make interesting decisions uh in the heat of battle and obviously you know there will just be some enemy kaiju that like you'll they'll just beat you in stats alone and you're just like okay it's not the end of the world if you lose a fight it's just like okay now i have like a a goal to work towards of like okay this is like my weakness i should probably build up that this stat on my on this kaiju um over time um uh there are other things you can uh do so like say like when you're getting money from these tournaments like uh you don't have to always be first place in tournaments sometimes you can just like get a decent chunk of money being second uh or third place in them and what you do uh, with money um is at the at the start of each month when you're raising a kaiju you can like feed them several types of food and these types of food um have have various effects like it like uh, there's like a dependency stat a fear stat um and, and like and then the most importantly like the the fatigue and anger uh systems where as you do training drills and battles over time with kaiju um their fatigue will go down so you may want to so if they if they're starting to feel tired so sometimes you may want to use that week to like rest so they can just like sleep for the week uh essentially and get their um you know stamina back up um anger is also a stat that you have to manage where like as you put them through more drills and on like other stuff, um, their anger will go up, and you don't want this anger uh, bar to fill out because once they that anger bar fills out, they go on a rampage and they get really mad, and then like you can't control them. So this is where like the Ultraman uh, aspect of this comes in, where like if they go on a rampage, Ultraman or Ultraman Zero will like show up and like beat up your kaiju and be like, "Hey, you have to do a better job managing your kaiju." You can't have this shit. And they're like, okay, Ultraman. And like Ultraman is like has juice stats unless you see him just like kicking the ever living shit out of your kaiju that's going on a rampage, as Ultraman does. And it's like, so, all right, Ultraman. So and, does Ultraman then, factor into the game at all outside of this mechanic? Not really. Like from what I've from what I've uh, played so far, it, it's mainly about <laughs> the, the the Ultraman villains, and Ultraman is basically just there if you mess up on the basically on the saying area. control your dog better, fucker. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, oh fuck. Okay. This, this is—I don't know. Since I haven't played a similar game, this might be a bit of a stretch. But to me, it seems like a modern-day Mr. Rossetti, where it's just a character that only shows up for a specific sort of like uh, action in the wrong. game. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. 
So a lot of like people who played Monster Rancher back in the day will feel at home with this game. It's very much a Monster Rancher game at heart, even though it's like using a different cast for the most part because it's Ultraman themed. Um, there's like you know some new systems in it that like that could like potentially like go back into like a mainline Monster Rancher game and um, like be better for it. Like for example, when you're going off to a training area sometimes um another like kaiju will be invading your training area and then you'll be like hey dude get off my training area because as you train at a certain region there will be like a territory meter um and if you max out that territory meter you'll gain like bonus stats uh as you um as you're uh train up a stat in that particular area so if you let uh uh opposing kaiju uh you know roam around there um that territory meter will go down and like you'll uh potentially lose progress on like building up that territory meter so you can be like hey get out get out of the way what are you doing and also like usually going to tournaments and fighting like opposing kaiju will bring down the anger meter on your um on your kaiju so it's a good way to manage that as well and then uh kaiju will get passive abilities over time like throughout the year so like on it's like when it's like turns one year old, um, you know it'll get get a a passive uh, trait slot, and then like you can feed it a cookie um, to get like traits. So you go to like a bakery, and they'll like they'll basically like give you like a random statted like cookie that you can slot in, or you can try to gotcha for another cookie. And and like the, when I say gotcha, I mean like it's just like it's they'll they'll put like the the cookie they'll bake up the cookie, and whatever cookie comes out is like you can take it or leave it, um, and then um you can when you feed it to your um kaiju it'll be there as a trait and all all it is is like sort of, uh, the only resource you're using uh, for it is like money like a small amount of money and, and how many there kaijus are other do you like have in like control of progressing at once is it just one that you're like building up or do you get like a team of them so at any given time when you're when you're uh, uh like training a kaiju it's only one at a time but this game has like over 200 kaiju and so like you you may be you, you can always like go summon another kaiju to like train up and like leave leave your current kaiju at the association and like you can switch them out at any time once you summon them so you can like be like okay i i want to like train up another kaiju because uh, you, you know they may ha- they might have like different strengths and different weaknesses so you might want to train up this one because this 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 kaiju may specialize in a different thing that like makes it better for certain types of tournaments or certain types of fights. Um, and there's also a, a system in the game where you can fuse kaiju together. Um, so like you'll, you'll get either a, like an entirely new kaiju or like, a, or like a similar kaiju, but with like increased stats. So for example, like um, Gamora is like the first starter kaiju that you can get, but you can also summon like something like, um, what is it called? Like an Ella, Ella King. Um, and you can fuse these together to make an Eliking Gamora, which is basically like the same model as Gamora, but like the te- the texture of like Eliking, and like it may have like increased stats. Um, but it may have like, but it may be more temperamental. It may have like a different sort of moves, uh, and so forth. So there's a lot of lot of like, this is a game that you can easily like spend hundreds of hours on if like if you if you really let it consume you because there's a lot of like possibilities and ways like you know to like get the certain type of like kaiju that you want um and 
uh, and how you progress through the game. So it's just it's just one of those types of games. Um, it's really fun so far. I've been having a blast with it. Um, but it's like it's one of those tough recommendations that like you have to know what you're getting into because like this is not a game that like you progress through like very fast. It's a very gradual process. It's like you're summoning new kaiju, trading more kaiju, um, and that's kind of like the loop of the game. Um, and as you, as you progress, you'll like meet more characters that like you can you can actually send your kaiju uh, to like to another character for like a month, and then the like you'll get like big stat increases. But then you're also like spending like a good chunk of money to like uh, uh, for them to do that. And then there's like a lot of like great animations in the game, uh, where like just like through the trading drill animations, and like when you send them off to like another trainer um, for a month, you'll see like. Um, your kaiju and their kaiju like do a race and like seeing who wins and like usually one of them like trips and then like another training might be like them trying to like um, anticipate like incoming attacks so they have to dodge it and then like it, it's a lot of like success or fail but doesn't really matter like you know as long as they're like getting stats through it so it's like it's really really um, packed with like a lot of like fun uh, animations like that and I think I think the only thing that really bugs me about the game um is like the switch performance like this game chugs <laughs> on a switch like uh, especially, for like, some we're... reason i just assumed you were playing it on pc is it a switch no, exclusive Switch exclusive for now i know the monster rancher the re-releases came out on pc eventually um my friend was talking about those monster rancher re-releases on pc though and there's like saying that the switch version of them like runs better because there are some really there are some really bizarre weird ports pc ports that came out for them but for now, this this Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher is only on Switch, and performance is pretty rough. Like especially for battles, like when you like knock over an enemy, like that thing will just go to like 10, nine to ten FPS as it's like it's being knocked back onto the ground. There's like debris coming out, um, and and it, it also like lead to like uh, the the menuing experience isn't like that great either. It can be like it can feel uh, unresponsive at times when you're menuing through it. Um, but you know, for people who are looking either for something different or like have like a lot of love for Ultraman, this could be definitely a game that's up their alley because it's this like this kind of like a game that like you never really see. Um, it's a, it's a very novel type of game uh, in that aspect, and it's it's cool that you know that they're willing to like take uh, reintroduce like Monster Rancher under this guys, even though I know some. Some of my friends were like big Monster Rancher fans. So like, I just wish they just made another one with like the, the monsters that I like, and I get that. But I think this approach works too, and because like, it's it's really novel and out of like it's very out of nowhere. And so I'm reading know, some comments on the bottom of a trailer, and apparently, I guess this makes sense. But uh, this commenter is saying that since it uses NFC, you can scan like Skylanders, Amiibo, Disney Infinity to generate monsters. Oh yeah, so that's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that that's I did think about Skylanders. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's the closest thing you could get to the original like Monster Rancher experience in the modern day. Yeah. Even though yeah. the Toys to Life kind of fad has sort of faded, but I guess Amiibo are still holding in there. So there you go. I, I wonder like, you know, I, I wonder like if they if they ever port this to PC, like how that would work. I guess you could like attach an NFC reader to your PC, right? That, you know, yeah. If it has NFCs and it's like very, very much a Switch exclusive right now, it feels like a missed opportunity where you you should have, if you scanned like a Bowser Amiibo, just giant Bowser. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I don't know um, how mo- like it, it, does it work? This might be a green question, but if I were to scan a, like a certain figure and then someone else in the same game was supposed to scan a certain figure, it would it be the same monster generated or does it is it more random than that? I have no clue. I I would assume yeah. it's the same. I would assume it's the same monster if it's like the same NFC like code. Yeah, me right? too. Like like because it's very it, reproducible. Like in like like back in the David Monster Rancher, like like the PlayStation like uh, two games, people were like, "Hey, go get this fucking Jay Z album, dude! You get you get a fucking cool ass monster <laughs> out of it." Like there was an I'm actual like real community, like of like just nerds buying like like really niche albums and like singles. Of like music they don't even listen to just to get like the monster that they wanted. Not, not like the big. idea of like get this get this Metroid amiibo from Metroid Dread, and there. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't I don't know if you like that, because of the keyboard feature. I imagine that you know there's not gonna like people are gonna rush out and you know get that the, that same sensation because you can always just type in keywords. But like mm-hmm. back in the day when that wasn't an option, and you you got to rely on like basically music cds like that was it was it was so cool like there was nothing like it especially because like the like people to were really really into the monster rancher show as well so it was just it was like a magical time it's like this is like it was like one of those things that like wow this is magic i don't know how the fuck they do it but they're reading my fucking music cds and i'm getting like a cool ass pixie out of it you know yeah I mean that that's um, my brief time with uh Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher so far. Uh it's been it's been a blast. I've been I've been having a lot of mm-hmm. fun um just re- like revisiting a game series that like I haven't played in years and just seeing it like all the modern tweaks to it and like the the collaboration with like Ultraman villains. It's like it's so like it's just like a, a like a, a a mashup that like I would never have thought would level up was even possible. And it, it makes a lot of sense, though. And it's kind of cool that it manages to keep the spirit of the series in a in a new format. And I don't know. Switch seems to be the sort of the the system that allows kind of little niche games like this to to thrive, where it might just be kind of buried under you know so many other titles if it were to show up on PC or something. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how well this uh, this game does. Uh, another game I'll, I'll briefly mention here is uh, there's the uh, a closed beta for. Um, on Steam for a, a, an action RPG called The First Descendant it is developed and published by Nexon. So um, if you, if you know who Nexon is, then you know exactly. You're like, I don't know about this. Um, Nexon is pretty much infamous in like the the mobile game space for really really aggressive kind of shitty monetization practices um, and so forth. But you know, I I, I checked out um, this game called The First Descendant, um, and it's kind of like at at first, uh, Nexon is a Korean company, just FYI. But with the comparisons about the, I'm about to make, at first when I was looking at the trailers, I was like, this looks like Outriders. So between me and my friends, we like referred to this game uh, before uh, we got hands on in it as Korean Outriders. Um, it's kind of not that. I mean, it sort of is like the, with gunplay and like gun feel. It's a third person like uh, shooter action RPG, uh, like Outriders in that respect. And like you have guns, loot, and then like there's our like, character classes with like distinct abilities. Um, but well, once you once you get to like the actual hands-on and what the game structure is like, it's more like a hybrid of Destiny and Warframe, but with like the like the gameplay of Outriders. Which is, it's, I don't know, I, I'm mixed on it. I, I've only got a few hours into it, like maybe level 
15 ish so it's like maybe three to four hours into it um it's i don't know it's very so how the game is it's like the the basic setup for the game is like there are these um this alien premise enemy called like the vulgaris or, or something like that and the, there's like this ancient war between humans and the vulgaris and um for a long uh, for the long time for a long time though humans were able to suppress them but then the vulgaris got the upper hand once they got this new commander which like wiped out a lot of the human population so it's and then and then you, and then your main hub in this game is like the last city of humans like you know there's our last stronghold you know and and you take on the for the the uh, a special individual individual uh, individual known as a descendant because they are uh descended from like the the special humans that had superpowers that were able to like suppress them way back in the day i think that's what the story is if not then like it's close enough because that's what i got out of it um and so you're going on to these missions to suppress the vulgaris threat um at the very beginning you have three characters that you can choose from um there's like your standard shooty dude which is like he uh, like he's like your all-rounder has a grenade has has a buff to like uh uh give his gr- a grenade like a burn property and all his other stuff burn properties another grenade where he can use them to once it's out it can like suck in nearby enemies and like his is like his ult ability is like an arm launcher um that like you can like start firing rockets from your arm uh for a bit so that's like kind of like a standard shooty dude i went with um, the other characters is like there's this lady that has ice powers that's like very offensive focused, and like a burly dude that's like a tank role. So he has like the shields, uh, the healing fields, uh, and so forth. I don't know if it's a healing field, but like a heal, like a like a shield dome ability. And then um, there are other playable characters in the game, but how you unlock them is you you get like character specific mats for them and then you go to this like vendor in like the hub area and like you put in these mats and then you have to like wait like real life time for them to unlock so let's say like there's this character called bunny so like you put in the bunny mats and whatever currencies it needs and then you have to wait like like eight hours or something eight to ten hours of like real life time for it to like build the character kind of like in warframe um and then it's silly but uh so go for it so as you were discussing this game i went ahead and pulled up the steam page for it because unlike the other games where i'd heard of the title but i just needed someone like you or adam to just walk through what the game was this game before literally two hours ago i'd never heard of so i'm on the Mm. steam page for uh for this game uh the first descendant and it's got it's obviously not officially released yet you've been playing a closed beta um it was closed beta right yeah, it's it's like it's like it's a closed beta for a week. I think it's still I don't know if you can still sign up for it on Steam because it's like one of those you request access on Steam and they just let everyone through. Uh, before, but but but, ba- but basically, uh, I go to the uh, Steam Steam forums. People have strong opinions on them one way or the other. But right, the very very active, like lots of lots of posts and and chat within the last day, within the last two days, three days. So th- I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of people that have been having a look in of this game. So I was yeah. pretty much. Um, ignorant to this game even existing but it seems like a lot of people are uh 
I don't know. So it seems like most of the, I don't want to, I'm painting with a broad brush here. Some people are talking about how the game's not well optimized and FPS drops, things like that. Yeah, I agree. Issues. Yeah. I, had to, I had to like, I had to like uh, upgrade, uh, upgrade my graphics drivers on my 3080. And even then, like, I, I like, I, I switched between medium and high on it. And even like, even on medium, it's like, it still chugs a little bit. I'm like, dude, um, mm-hmm. I've been playing, I, I, like, I've been playing it on a controller. It doesn't have like the best controller support, but it's the one I'm comfortable with because it's, it has the destiny style menus of like, everything's a cursor. So like the inventory is just like, you're, you're using a cursor to move around. So with a controller, it's like, okay. And it's, it's your, it's your typical, wait, go for it, James. Can I just say that? Like menus that have a fake cursor are probably my least favorite thing in modern it's games. So, I, I do not. You like know what it. other game has a menu like that? The Batora. Batora does. Where you go to the menu with a cursor. It feels like something that devs want to spend more time focusing on everything else in the game. And I feel like the fake cursor thing's probably just easier for them to implement because it's like. It, they can design it for like keyboard and mouse and then they just have a fake cursor and then it's like, yeah. here we go. Yep. Yep. So, and, and that's so like how, how the, uh, I don't like the inventory in this game, but the, how your basic loadout is for your, like any of your characters, you can have up to three guns on you. Um, you know, yeah, there's all sorts of like different types of guns, like your assault rifles, your machine guns, your handguns, sniper rifles, shotguns, etc. Um, there, there's like several different types, like bullet types in the end, like impact bullets, standard bullets. They're like all color coded, so like you know some of these you know bullets are more effective against certain enemies. You know the whole the whole deal and so forth. And each uh, each gun has like its own like uh, DPS rating, like uh, like item power rating, like this. The if it has higher number, you want to equip it because it does high because it does higher damage. Um, and you have like other equips, like uh, accessories that like increase like your max health, your your shields, um, and then there's this uh, system in the game called runes, and like the, these runes are like there's like s- several types of runes you can equip on your character, like torrent runes, aerial runes, whatever, thunder runes, whatever, and these runes are basically m- like passive modifiers to like uh, increase stuff like fire rate on like machine guns if you have them equipped or. Um, decrease cooldowns on your abilities. So like, the, and then you can enhance them. So like, there's like, uh, there's a sort of like customization and build you can go for for your characters. Uh, well, like you know, I, most of this stuff will matter more as like you approach like end game and higher level content. Obviously, I don't have like the the foresight to know exactly how it all goes. But like for when I was like watching a YouTube video breaking down what each character does. Like for example, like uh, a character, like the character I mentioned, like a Bunny, for example, she's like an electric focused type character that is very movement focused. A lot of her abilities um, make it so like you always want to be on the move with her because there will be an ability where, like, as she runs around, she's she's uh, creating like an electric field like uh, on where she's run. So you really want to be mobile with her, and she has like a, a like a pulse electric pulse ability that like damages opponents near her. So you want like runes that really specialize in like move speed and cooldowns and like electric damage and so forth. So there's there's ways to like definitely like get the most out of your character's kit and abilities. Uh, here there'll be like another dude that's like a like a pyromancer and he focuses on like fi- uh, placing like fire fields on the ground. Um, and like the more fields that he has, like his uh, other abilities are like uh, augmented. And like, and then he has like a finisher ability that like will swoop up all these uh, fire fields and like does a big explosion or something like that, you know. Um, 
And then like the for movement abilities, like in the like just general universal abilities for all characters, like everyone has like a grappling hook. And like the grappling hook is so weird in this game because it is it is like the it is like their solution for not including things like like you can't climb a ladder in this game. Like there'll be like something like in the environment that like that looks like something I can climb on. It's like, no, you cannot climb in this game. Just use your grappling hook to like get up. And it's like, like your grappling hook, and like whenever like you reach a ledge, like you you don't like go into an animation where like you're climbing up the ledge. Instead, like every time you like you finish like the grappling, like it'll like do a little hop at the end because they didn't was they didn't want to like I guess dedicate the resources to like do like a lead like grabbing the ledge animation to get up. So you just yeah, like, I was gonna say it sounds like they're just trying to get away get around from doing an animation. For that. Yeah. So so you're so you're just like you just you you grappling hook up at like any ver- any vertical surface and then the little hop at the end. Well, hopefully you can like reach the ledge after that hop. You know, <laughs> so it's like okay, so it's like it's very weird and jank in that aspect. It's like uh, I guess I mean so it's 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 pretty fun that like like the, the once you get like to the open zone areas, like there is definitely like uh, some sort of like uh, element of verticality to it all to like reach your objectives and like the objectives. Uh, like your standard like go here uh interact with this thing some enemies will spawn go kill these enemies or it'll be like a thing you interact with and like um there'll be enemy waves you take out this enemy wave and then this object will be vulnerable for you to kill after a certain amount of time and then they'll spawn more enemy waves and so forth so it's like the like the quest design hasn't been hasn't been like whatever there is a way for you to like just open up like the your current mission to like other other people t- tackling on that mission but I've been mostly going it solo so far, just to like kind of get a feel for everything. I get I like uh, there's nothing about this. It's like I feel it's really special. Um, I know there's like going to eventually be raid bosses that have like targetable like parts that are like that are like its weak points, and then there will be like you know obviously like behavior patterns that like uh, other friends that have gone far deeper into this. Like yeah, they like this raid boss has been like filtering a lot of people. Um, you know, so there's like a, some sort of strategy like you know as you um play more of it but you know i i like there, there's not really a lot of like variety in like the weapons themselves like the most like out, out of out of like three to four hours in this game that i've had like the most like unique weapon that i've gotten is like this pistol that sometimes like freezes enemies when i shoot it other than that it's like your standard like does this weapon do more have higher numbers than my weapon yes okay i'll equip it and then i can kill things a little bit faster um you know and then it it, it it just has like all the trappings also of like um like what destiny has as well so you like you go when you whenever you log into the game you go into the central hub and then if you want to do a mission you go to like a you use like a warp point or like a, the map to like warp to a certain thing to like an open area and do like the missions there so it's not i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna play more of it i just kind of like over it and whatever. Well, what what made honest. you decide to play it in the first place? Um, it looked kind of cool, and like you know, I enjoyed my time with Outriders. Like, uh, I know I know a lot of people like like to meme about that game, but my friends and I had like a blast of that game. Like, we've all played like at least fifty hours of that game. You know, when it first mm-hmm. launched, and we, we had a lot of you know, it, it was passable. You know, it was like it was a fun time. So this game reminded us a lot of it. And then like when Rubber met the road, it's like yeah. I, I guess I'll, I'll put it like this to like to, to the to the friend that got who put the most time in this game is like around like level twenty five to level thirty or whatever. 
And he's like, at, he's like, at that point, he's like, I was like off of work after hours, and then they wanted me to do something. Um, he's like, I, and I was playing this game. He's like, I, I was thinking about this. Like, I'd rather go work instead of play this game at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. So it's kind of like, and you know, I'm not really like super into the game. Like, I don't necessarily dislike it, but it's like it's very. I'm sure I'm gonna dislike it as time goes on. I think because it's kind of like that same grind as like as you would do like in Destiny. Like over time, like you'll get over like how pretty it looks and how you know and all this sort of stuff. And you're just kind of like do you're just doing it to like make numbers go up. And and what you're actually doing isn't like exciting in itself. You're just like doing it to pass time. Um, but other than that, that's like and that like the the only. Like cool thing that I like about it, like from a control standpoint, is there's not a lot of games that do this. I don't know why, but this game has like the option to like set custom sensitivity to like weapon types. So like when you flip it on in the options menu, you can like set custom sensitivity. So like when you use a pistol, when you use a sniper rifle, when you use a shotgun, and like that's that's really cool. And I wish more games had like that type of like fine tuning in like controls. I'm trying to think of a use case for that, but I could see like maybe for something like a grenade launcher, you want it to be like m- more sensitive or something like a sniper rifle less sensitive so you can have more control over it. It'd be, it'd be yeah. just kind of cool to have the option just to kind of fine tune it, like you said. Yeah. But that's, I, I don't know when, if they have a release date for this. When you look at the steep pages, it says coming soon. I don't know if that means it's later mm-hmm. this year or sometime next year, but. Yeah, it's whatever, and and uh, this game does support English voice acting, and it's like it's not really great English voice acting either. It's just kind of like it's not awful, but it's like kind of standard comical type stuff. And you mm-hmm. and you know, of of course, this game will definitely have like in-game monetization. I think there's like a I don't know what you gotcha for, but there's like a certain like currency in the game that like you they they distribute it through like the mailbox for to participate in the closed beta. And I know there's like a Twitch drop drops thing where you watch a stream uh, for like two hours, and they'll give you more of this currency. So this I, game will I, have like in-game Twitch drops seem like super well. popular. I, I I've played a, like I think both Guild Wars Two and Fantasy Star Online Two have had Twitch drops things. And whenever the either of those published developers announce Twitch drops, it seems like everyone's like super gung ho. Like yeah, Twitch drops. I'm like oh okay. Yeah, like, I, I I I dipped into that poison earlier this year with like Lost Ark. They had like mounts like mount skins or just the artist mounts oh. uh, like a uh, twitch drop so i had to like learn how like that whole system worked i was like oh man that mount looks so cool i want it and it's like okay is this how twitch drops are so you have to link this and this and then you'll get it within 25 to 30 minutes you know and it's like okay once after you finish like watching like five hours of this streamer or whatever and it's like okay and i know they've been starting to do that like even with like discord like discord has had like uh like it's called oh, yeah, Starstalker. Yeah, like the, yeah. if you stream Monster Hunter Rise for like I don't know, like two hours minutes. or fifteen, 15 minutes. minutes, okay, and then they'll, they'll you'll get like a drop for your game. It's like okay, so it's weird, man. It's weird. We live in strange times and stuff like that. No, but thank you, Josh, for going over two games that one I had heard of, one that I hadn't for both Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher and The Lost Descendant. So all of these the are recent. Descendant. Wait, the first Descendant. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of. Uh... <laughs> That reminds me when all the Final <laughs> Fantasy VII things were announced. Uh, like, uh, I think Alex was writing some news articles, and it was like the first soldier or the last soldier or whatever. We kept getting the the actual like preposition wrong <laughs> or things like that. Like, uh, 
what it's it's worth. Worth. first descendant used to be known as Project Magnum. Oh, mm. I didn't even That's know. what it was known as before it got its title. How how do you have this <laughs> nugget of knowledge? Like, how did you know that? You just know this. Oh well, I I remember getting. I remember seeing the announcement for Project Magnum. Then I remember seeing the announcement for the first ascendant. I'm like, this looks really familiar. What is this? Like, oh, it's that other thing. It's the same thing. I'm okay. I'm glad that Adam is on this podcast for his like human computer brain, just like recognizing all these things and being able to keep all this stuff straight. I mean, I, I look, it's hard. It's hard. Okay. To, to, to me, the, the, this game, before I knew the title of this game, I got the, the title of this game was Korean Outriders to me. So mm. I mean, that's kind of how you described it. So it uh, checks out. All right. Before we go into the uh, article shout outs in the news, there's two other games here that I at least want to put a little bit of time to spotlight. And one of which is a game that is something that we talked about maybe two years ago that we covered on the site. Uh, completely different tact from what we've previously been talking, and that is 428 Shibuya Scramble. So Josh first played this game back when it released and thought very, very, very highly of it. Um, I don't know if anyone else here since then has played uh, 428, but James, I, uh, Chow, I did. James probably. Oh, James did. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. maybe uh, James and Chow and, of course, Josh go back and forth on this. Uh in in our uh, in our staff Discord channel over the last week, I saw that Chow was playing this game, and he wanted to have a small chance to talk about it here. So I'll just go ahead and hand the floor off to him for for a short bit. So four two eight Shibuya Scramble. For those that weren't listening to this podcast uh, two years ago when we first talked about this game, what is four two eight? And I guess what is your impression on it? Do you think as highly of it as its word of mouth seems to uh, seems to be for it? Like, I haven't fully finished the game, so I can't give you, like, the complete rundown, but it is... Would first very... just give us, like, an overview of, like, what what is 428? Uh, so it is a visual novel adventure game. Uh, mm -hmm. What is it? That's probably all I know. I just know it's from Spike Chunsoft, and I have seen the sequel anime that was done by Type Moon. How's that? Uh, I had no idea there was an anime tie-in of any sort to four two eight. So the, the so like the, the the big like thing that distinguishes it from like most visual novels and adventure games is like the, uh, the this entire game like all its like backgrounds is like done with real screenshots of live act uh, live actors like real people. So like that's so mm -hmm. that's the thing that really makes it stand out is like everything about this game is like it's from live actors and live live screenshots. So um, by live screenshots you mean like photography? Yes. Okay. <laughs> live screenshot. I mean, yeah, I think of like live action. So, like, yes, I think my favorite little fun fact about it is that uh, they were technically breaking the law whenever they were uh, taking like photos and videos in Shibuya for this game because uh, you're not supposed to take uh, any sort of photography uh, for commercial purposes in Shibuya, but. If they didn't get caught, if they didn't get arrested, they were fine. So literally, there's like an anecdote where they, whenever they saw the cops coming, they had to pack things up quickly and like literally run away. Yeah, yeah, that is the law. Yeah, that is the the development of this game is fucking crazy. But yeah, I, yeah, that's, and that's, I, that's, that's the basic setup of, of the game. Um. So, okay. well, was James going to say something before you you go on, Chow? James, all I was just gonna say is that I think that anecdote like like ties in perfectly with the entire vibe that the the uh, VN has. It's like yeah, perfect. 
Yeah, because it's like it's like it's actually like a essentially a, a mystery case, and then like to solve the mystery, you like take control of like various different like people who are in, like involved in some way, shape, or form. Uh, in this case, well, whether directly or tangentially. A- anyway, like I, I'm curious to hear like how far are you, Chow? I know you, I saw you like uh, stream a little bit at the beginning again, and it made me want to replay it sometimes. So oh, maybe. I got to the part where I unlocked through five characters, and I basically got their to be continued part of the like the second part of the story right okay yeah but like i i could see why it's really high regarded because you can there's a lot of like control that you can do in this game it like 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 not like directly but somehow like for example if you forgot to read the glossary of one part you just seem to can't trigger this event and that had me stuck in the prologue for a bit because i was like why do i keep getting a bad ending i trigger every single damn route right Mm-hmm. And you're like, so you never read the glossary because I didn't read the glossary, and it doesn't trigger this. That's kind of fun. For example, like there's one part the glossary highlighted a gun. It's like, why the hell would I read the glossary of a gun? I know what a gun is, right? Mm-hmm. But if you didn't read the glossary about the gun, that character will have, oh, he doesn't see the gun as dangerous, so he will not try to stop the dude with the gun. And now you can't seem to progress the plot, you know. Yeah, this this game this game is uh, in some respects like uh, like a classic adventure game where it's kind of unforgiving about like you kind of have to the, first off like this game will have a lot of bad ends and it's it's inevitable that yes you will get bad ends. This game is very versatile about like where you can like warp back to so you don't you know it's not a big deal if you get a bad end. Um, <laughs> but 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 in order but, to progress like like there there'll be like c- certain things you have to do like engage with to to actually like continue moving forward. My favorite anecdote watching Chow play this was I look over, he's streaming it in Discord. I have it on a secondary monitor. I look over and it says like bad end shot by a foreigner or something like that. <laughs> That's not my favorite one. Then, my favorite ending was this one where he decided when this character decides to go and throw garbage and it says bad ending. Your ending is garbage. <laughs> that was the title. It's like these endings are fucking hilarious. Yeah, like like the, the like the the each character is quirky in their own lovable way. Like the very first one, uh, you the first character you take of is like this detective who's hot on the case, and like he's like a hard boiled detective and like very by the book. But like his like his quirky side to him is like he he follows like a sort of code through this diary called the Dick Dictum, and it's like it's just a, a various like like everyday sayings like always be on the lookout. Or like keep an open mind, you know. It's like Dick Dictum number forty-eight. Keep an open mind, you know. It's like some <laughs> dumb shit like that. It's like yes, of course, you know. And like the second character you 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 uh, play as uh, that you see the perspective of is like this uh, dude who is like he's kind of like a he picks up garbage. He's like he makes sure that that the streets are clean, but he's very like serious about it. He's very like you know I'm, I'm making sure that the like. There's no trash on the road, making sure things are in recycle, the recycle bin. And he's very, like, you know, very gung-ho and, like, very, takes pride that, like, you know, he's, like, kind of, like, he's keeping the streets clean. Mm-hmm. It, it's very it's very great that, like, these characters are very into their role and very, like, headstrong about it. And, like, there's, like, no, they're, 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 they're not, like, winking at you. They're, like, very serious about, like, and believe, like, even though it's ridiculous, to us, they're very into it, and like one of the, like the characters, like you don't even see their like in their head. They like wear like a mascot uh, head on them. I don't know? think you ever see it, and even if you do see it, it'll be in her back or something like that. You'll never see her face. 
<laughs> you know, and it's like and there's all there, there, there's reasons why the, like you know those things happen. Like you actually get to see like, the backgrounds of these characters too, and like you know why they like are like this. So like I don't know, I can never like I I, I can't uh, recommend this game enough. Like this, the, you know, several years on, like this is a still still like one of the most delightful visual novels. Is it mainly just due to the story premise itself, or just how well it's written, or? Uh, well, well, I know there's the like good, good, uh, uh, high praises to this game, and and since I've seen the sequel anime, I want to try it. And another reason why I want to play this game is because there's what's it? I would just want to get a hang of like trying visual novels in case if I have to review one in the future. So I like this, wanna... like it's also training as well. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> It's like I don't know. Like I, the the only original novel I have imported in my plate that's coming up is the Witch of the Holy Night. So oh. I, I do want to get a hang of it in case if I do end up reviewing it. So just want to get a hang of that. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I I do I do love it. Uh, one of the things that I do like recognize immediately, I do recognize like one of the character is directly related to one of the characters from the anime, which is like because the story starts out with this girl being kidnapped and. You only get to see the twin sister, and but the anime is the the girl that's being kidnapped. So. I guess we should probably say like the name of the anime is Kanan, C A N A A N, Kanan. Yes, yeah. And, and, and you can and, watch it without this game because I've watched the anime and it it barely made any connection to this game. But you know the characters are from this game, though. Yeah, it's very recognizable because like uh, the 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 artist from Type Moon Takeuchi like did the, the character designs for that game. Or that anime, um, and yeah, it's it's you, you know as, as you uh, keep on playing, you'll see more and more how it ties in and so forth. But you know, it's 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 such a weird connection that you, you can you can experience both in isolation, and not have to worry about one or the other. You know, so it's it's not it's not like a it's not like a deal where like oh do I have to see both? It's like no, you can just like play one or see one without the other. You don't have to you don't have to like see both to like understand both, which is the nice thing. It is kind of jarring to. To see the real life version with the anime version, so. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'll see what happens at the end. Um, I'm sure I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I must really have been mistaken. I, time is slipping away from me. I guess when Josh first played through this game, it was before we restarted this podcast, so this might be the first time we've ever talked about Shibuya Scramble on the Tetracast. So what better time than than yeah? Because I I thought this game released in like 2020, but eh, 2018. So time, where are you going? Yeah, I, the the only reason I knew that it released that long ago was I remember playing this before COVID. Oh, <laughs> in the before <laughs> times, <laughs> oh, the man. old world. Well. Well, now we've had an opportunity because of Chow to talk about uh, Shibuya Scramble on the podcast, and uh, it is something that we do have a review up on the site if you want to search RPG site Shibuya Scramble to see Josh's thoughts from way back in the before times. Uh, Spoilers, uh, very, very highly regarded and, you know, a good review up on the site from Josh from the before times for Shibuya Scramble. And also, like, if you if people are like that, like, say, oh my god, it's like $50, like, this game goes on sale very often for very low I got it for like, fourteen bucks, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I mean, like, uh, don't worry. This game goes on sale a lot, so you can pick it up uh, without having to spend a lot too, if you're interested. 
And the last game that we have earmarked here uh, to talk about is uh, one of our semi-regular check-ins for Final Fantasy XIV, with which both uh, James and Chow do keep up to date on. Uh, recently had the 6.25 update, for which we talked about on the podcast back when that was first announced and detailed. And just earmarked a little bit of time here for James to, t- to go through his experience playing through 6.25 and what his thoughts are on that for um, the newest Final Fantasy XIV update. Um, so the big change and update with 6.25 is twofold. One, we got the, uh, most recent, uh, tribe quest, which I have not done yet. Uh, but we also got the new content in the form of, uh, variant and criterion dungeons. And I'll just say that having played through the first variant dungeon, I can completely understand why patch 6.2's regular dungeon was probably the worst they've had in like years <laughs> because the variant dungeons are so much better. And uh, like, so the way it works is, is that you have dungeons in 14, they're linear affairs. You basically just go in a straight line. It was a little bit different in Realm Reborn, but ever since then, they've just focused on making it be a an experience you can get done like 15 minutes. Variant mm-hmm. dungeons, you still have like a similar cadence of like uh, a couple of boss fights, a bit of trash mobs, and you go through it in about 15 minutes. But instead of it just being a straight line, there's multiple paths. And sometimes there might even be hidden paths you can take with uh, dealing with some puzzles. And I- I'll just be honest, if every dungeon that they add to this game was like variant dungeons from here on out, I don't think anyone would complain. I, I really don't think anyone would complain because it's like you, you kind of get a bit of you have your cake and eat it too. Cause it's like, once you make a decision, you're, you're, you're stuck. You're, you're still on, you're on that track. So for all intents and purposes, it's still streamlined enough. It's not like you can backtrack and try and explore other things that you missed. So it's like the overall length of the dungeon is similar to regular dungeons but for a bunch of players, like maybe myself included, where maybe we were a bit disappointed that dungeons have just become a straight line, it just gives a little bit more like substance to it. There's a bit more meat on the bones, and there's like actually some like give and take where it's like, oh, on one path you get a hint that helps you on another path to find a, a hidden route. And there's like all these different like interesting boss fights with interesting mechanics. And then there's like a hard version of it called the Criterion Dungeons, which is basically a savage difficulty like dungeon, like savage difficulty four player content, which people have been begging for something like this for years. Now they're complaining it's too hard. So yeah, fuck him. And so in the chat just now, as James was describing the variant dungeon, Chow put a flow chart in our little chat room, which is like a Vizio, almost like production flow chart about how this thing can branch off. And this seems like is this all one dungeon, Chow? Yes, it's all one dungeon. Basically, it starts. And this with is three and this doors. is one of the new ones. Yeah, it starts with like three doors. You could go whichever door, and at the end, your boss will be different based on the door, and all the interactions all different based on the choices you make through the course. And of I, I like how yeah. some of these are like which door you go in, and other these are like instead of starting the boss, you use these emotes or kill Drake's randomly or kill the Drake's big to small. So I don't play Final Fantasy fourteen, but just even just reading some of these branching points, like how you trigger them. 
It's like, how do people find out this stuff? Yeah, like see the glossary entry for gun, and then we'll t- do something different. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this just kind of reminds me when I was playing Ion. You know, there was this one dungeon or like the endgame rating. There was a lot of like little conditions you had to meet in order to fight the super version of the boss, and it kind of feels like the same idea here. Like when Ion first came out, there was this super hard dungeon called Dark Poeta, which is basically like a time travel version of the first town you visit being completely decimated by dragons and in that dungeon you'll find your dead friends and all those things you know like you have to like route it perfectly like a time attack in order to fight the ultimate boss at the end if you don't meet any of the points as you fight like a weaker version and you don't have like the good rewards and it has to be like really well fought out before you can get there and i don't know how people come up with guides for those things but in this yeah. flowchart here is that there's not like an optimal route. It just seems like just seems like no a permutation route. of just where it takes you. Yeah, there's a uh, mount you get for finding every possible ending for the variant dungeon. And there's like a little mm-hmm. notebook that you have that will like keep track of which routes you've done. So you can oh. get a yeah, there's like a legitimately decent reward for like doing all of it. And then you had the Criterion Dungeon stuff, which you can keep running to uh, get uh, stuff like Materia. It's also a way you can get uh, Tomestones. Like, honestly, like doing variant dungeons for Tomestone grinding is probably the second quickest way to do it. The first quickest still being Hunt Trains. Because <laughs> you get like 30 of the uh, weekly Tomes per variant dungeon run. And like, if you're doing it with a pre-made, you can probably get each, like, run done in under, like, 10 minutes. So. I look at this flowchart, and I'm like, man, this must be a lot of work. But actually, like, if it allows them to reuse some assets and reuse some environments, but have a lot more replayability by allowing the little notebook, where it kind of encourages players to run through the dungeon multiple times just to try out different routes, I could see this being, like, a kind of a win-win they can re they can reuse assets they can kind of smartly design it and have it and it's such implemented in a way where players want to replay this dungeon a handful of times in order to see all the endings or all the different route possibilities i don't know it just seems kind of fun compared to the uh the standard dungeons that you've described yeah Yeah, and they said there's going to be more of these because this is basically this expansion's equivalent of uh baza or uh, eureka which were massive massive endgame activities for uh shadowbringers and stormblood respectively so they're gonna be adding more and more of these and it's going to probably be tied to the uh new uh relic weapon grind so people are gonna keep like playing this and like keep doing these dungeon runs for like the next year or so nope that seems pretty fun and it seems like a good way to like keep players engaged uh with a I won't say a small amount of content, but like a, a limited amount of content where they say, hey, we've, we've designed this kind of neat thing that you that we've put in implemented in a way where you guys can get, be encouraged to do this multiple times as we, you know, work on the, the meteor stuff with the next expansion. I should have done like a, like a, some sort of like choose your own adventure type uh, deal with them where it's like it's like everyone's forced like a, a, a black screen text box and they have to read like what they what they want to do next together. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, thank you, James, for your for our uh, semi-regular check-in on the latest happenings of Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, we'll keep it with James because one of the last games, uh, a port of a game actually that came out in the last week, uh, is the 
Xbox, PC, and Switch versions of Persona 5 Royal. Now, Persona 5 Royal is a game that we have covered extensively on the site back when both the original game and Royal first released, respectively. Uh, I guess here is my obligated shout out that we do have a lot of guides and uh, hint pages up on the site for Persona 5 for those playing it for the first time. But we have a feature up from the last week where both James and Cullen were able to look at the PC and Switch versions of Persona 5 Royal, respectively. And Xbox. So, uh, Did James play it on Xbox or did he play it on PC? Did I you put both? like five hours in on Xbox just to say I played a bit of it on Xbox. Mm-hmm. So Persona 5 Royal is a game that has been uh, well discussed in a lot of different contexts here. Uh, but here we do have the feature up on the site talking about the newest versions of the game. And so, James, I'll give you a small opportunity here just to talk about your your time with Persona 5 Royal on PC and how you think it stacks up uh, and what your thoughts are on it so far. It's Persona 5 Royal on PC. Like, I've never I've only played the base Persona 5, so I've always been kind of waiting for a PC version to replay it. Now, granted, like on PS4 Pro, it was 4K30. And for a game like Persona, you don't need more than 30 FPS. But it was one of those things where it's like, well, I'm not in a rush to replay so I can wait. And so here we are. It's it's, it's on PC. I, I will say a little bit of a nitpick. And and I guess I can't complain too much because if we had gotten a Steam code, I believe you were the one that was planned to take a look at the PC version. Um, we were sent an Xbox code instead. And uh, even though we knew that the game was probably going to be played anywhere, we just weren't sure. And they specified it was an Xbox code. And I'm like the one person besides, I think, Quentin on staff that actually has an Xbox. Mm-hmm. So kind of just defaulted well, I, to me. Well, I ended up spending the time playing uh, Cold Steel 4 <laughs> instead, which worth, I suppose. I'll get to Persona yeah. 5 eventually. That might, I feel like Persona 5 might end up being like my holiday game where I'll uh, I get. Maybe you know about this. Does it run well in Steam Deck? I have not tried. Uh, so I was it's unable to like test day, personally, so. but it was playable on Steam Deck at, well, on Steam Deck at TGS. So we kind of knew it was probably going to be verified day one. It was verified and people have ah. uh, reported that on max settings with even 150 percent render scale, it's a lock 60 FPS and you get like three and a half to four hours of battery life Dang. on Steam Deck. So. Yeah, so even if so, if you like don't have it at like 150 percent render scale, like yeah, it's just like at standard, it's probably like four or four and a half or something like that. So it All runs right, really I'm, well. Yeah, I might grab this. I have a feeling this might be my holiday game. When usually I visit my folks over the holiday, I'll grab this on my Steam Deck and be able to play it uh, in the hotel or at home on the couch or whatever. But yep, uh, we also do have. We don't have Colin up on the podcast here with us right now, but. We do have a combined feature from both James and Colin talking about how Persona 5 Royal runs on both PC as well as on Switch. And seems like by all intents and purposes, the Switch port is also very, very good. So if you have a Switch and you're interested in playing Persona 5 Royal, seems like it's a perfectly great option. To, so you can finally play the prequel to Persona 5 Strikers, uh, which unexplainably <laughs> released on Switch well before Persona 5 actually did properly. But yeah. Uh, it sounds like basically no complaints across any of these, at least in our experience, across any of these new ports for uh, for Persona 5 Royal. And with our like round robin out of the way for all the things that we've been playing over the last week, we'll go into the news section. Uh, news section here is pretty light. It pretty much falls into uh, two major categories here. We have some 
Some big updates uh, on the Square Enix front, primarily focused on new footage for the upcoming Final Fantasy 16. Of course, a uh, a flagship title for our site's coverage. Uh, we do have some Falcom stuff, some release dates and release windows for upcoming uh, series in English for upcoming games in English for that series. Uh, and then we have a few other uh, new trailers and uh, updates for upcoming games uh, before the end of the year. So we will start, of course, with the big headliner here in the news front, which is, of course, Final Fantasy 16. So in the last week, we got a new long story trailer for the game called Final Fantasy 16 Ambition. This is a, uh, a four and a half minute trailer, which introduces a lot of new concepts, a lot of new characters. It's primarily a story trailer. So a lot of it is cutscene and footage in that respect, though, in the back half of the trailer, there is a little bit of, uh, of gameplay footage of battle footage. Um, this trailer I actually watched for the first time not too long ago. I didn't have a chance to talk uh, to watch it when it first released. And I think talking about trailers is always a bit silly on the site because uh, on this podcast, because obviously this podcast is an audio format and it just seems silly to say, like, go ahead and watch the trailer uh, because it's very, very good. But this trailer what you're I saying think, is we should we should gather up everyone and then do a live reaction stream. Oh, yeah the trailer that's the popular thing these days we'll, we'll we'll put it on uh we'll put it on the uh the list for the next uh the next calendar year we'll have a reaction stream <laughs> where we all get our webcam set up and react to the trailer actually i'd probably <laughs> die before i did that but anyways the the ambition trailer wow. has been apparently uh pretty divisive uh because it kind of it kind of hammers home some of the points that we kind of already knew about the game how it is uh there are no porting party members in battle it's a single player action focused combat system uh the art style is a little bit more muted it, it seems to draw a lot of inspiration from western rpgs like witcher um which some people have i guess kind of already like staked where they stand on the direction that final fantasy 16 is has taken uh i kind of like this trailer a lot because it seems to kind of go back to some of the roots of some of the first things that we knew about final fantasy 16 about the dominance about the relationship between clive and joshua and the dominance of ifrit and phoenix um some the of the icons. characters that were oh yeah the uh, the icons yeah some of some of the stuff that we learned about on some of the more recent trailers the dominance of Titan and Garuda. I'm pulling up. We have an update to our um, our character, our character basically dossier, where we got some new uh, new characters that were the uh, icons of Odin and Bahamut, which are named Dion and one other. What's the other name here? Well, Barnabas. Yeah, mm -hmm. I probably only remember uh, the names. Yeah, so obviously the main character Clive, and then we got Joshua one of the first to introduce characters we got some yeah jill actually made a pretty uh a pretty strong presence in the newest uh trailer here as well seemingly to go up against uh barnabas and odin barnabas being odin's um dominant here uh we get some more footage of the icon versus icon battles we get some more footage of the actual combat gameplay where it's clive versus uh garuda it seems like or at least um not it's uh Bendicta is the character who is the dominant of Garuda here. So this is the sort of trailer that if we wanted to, we could probably go like frame by frame and try to identify what happens in what order and what we can glean about this. The, yeah. the, the, the trailer the, the trailer goes into uh, pretty uh, 
mechanical detail about the five different nations that are in um basically in play here obviously we got kind of the uh the home nation rosaria which clive and joshua are from uh, also talks about the holy empire of sanbrek dalmakian republic the iron kingdom and the kingdom of waled so these are the sorts of things where i believe if you go on to the official website of the game a lot of these things a lot of these kingdoms and uh republics are like formally dossiered there and we kind of have like a uh a key a key character representing each of these different factions. And essentially it seems like the events of the game kind of stir up strife between like existing animosity between these kingdoms. And it sets the world on fire, uh, figuratively speaking. Two things, two things really, really caught my eye with, with this trailer. Like, I mean, it, it's an interesting trailer. It's nice. It's, it's very pretty, but two things that the, the only really got me interested in it, but it's, you know, it's fine. It's like, it's kind of amusing that the each of the the icon holders, whatever they're called, dominance. I think I forgot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, before like they transform into like the the like the summons, um, they kind of have like this hybrid form where like like say Benedicta, for example, will like have like traits of it, like claws and the wings, but like won't fully mm-hmm. go gigantic. Like you know, so you do face off against like the like kind of like the more hybrid monster forms of them first before the full on big big battle um which just it reminded me of like devil triggers from devil may cry which is funny because they have the devil may cry five combat director on this game so that, that that's uh that was amusing for me and uh, the second thing that caught my eye is during the gameplay tidbits is they actually do have like the little like little capsules by like the by your commands at the lower right hand corner or like that, they, they do allow for like hot switching between like your elemental spells and actions uh, mid combat, and that's how they're uh, represented in battle. It's like through these little capsules that you can uh, toggle between. So if you need like a, a fire or wind uh, layout against like certain enemies, you can hot swap on them on the fly mid combat. I was gonna ask, and did some, they I... show the Shiva dominance yet? Like the actual person. Um, I don't. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. We have. We have. Um, it looks. It looks like, like there's some. Uh, there's some uh, rumors that it might be Jill, which kind of makes sense. But that's kind of also just like process of elimination. Like, well, she might be a dominant, and we don't have one assigned to Shiva yet. So there you go. But yeah, it maybe. seems like from a, from what I can tell, not nothing's officially official. But to Josh's point. Yeah, I guess when I when I said that we saw gameplay where you're fighting uh, Garuda, it's actually um, fighting Bendicta in her like devil trigger form of Garuda. And then there's a fight where you're fighting Hugo with his like semi Titan form. But then there's also shows some combat gameplay where it's Clive against Odin and, you know, just Odin. So not quite an icon battle at that point, though. Obviously, we've also seen plenty of footage of all the icons squaring off in a major like one on one battle there. Uh, If right versus Phoenix and uh, several others there versus Bahamut, for instance. I I do kind of like the 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 concept of like having a multi tiered like showdown like that's something that like builds up to like the the climactic showdown. Like so like you're going through like phases of the fight as like tensions are rising and rising and like stakes are getting higher in the fight. So like every 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 like showdown with the dominant like feels like a big moment in the game, like a big like um you know event. So it's not it's something that'll happen gradually instead of like just like, hey, here's the first fa- phase of the fight and then like it'll swap out to its like second phase, like uh, like in like in the in the, the older turn based uh, Final Fantasy uh entries. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of focus on the story parts of this trailer 
for how the containing the the essence of the icons within the dominance like plays a cost on the holder where uh i haven't dug through this through this trailer frame by frame but a character is holding his arm as it's like turning to stone and then it shows another character who i don't recognize in bed like having fully petrified uh i guess i'm gonna throw in this in chat i don't recognize who this character is um who seems to have like overused their power and is now a statue it's about at the uh three minute mark of the trailer oh yeah i don't know who that person is um yeah but but yeah right before that it shows a character grabbing their arm as it's like partially petrified and based based on the voiceover in the game it talks about the cost that the that the dominants play if they overuse their magic and things like that so uh, so basically being a dominant is more of a curse than a blessing is kind of what this trailer is trying to evoke and this game is still you know slated for summer 2023 nothing's uh new on that front they didn't really reveal a release date or anything it's still that release time frame and and like so, mm-hmm. like a, a message from like Hiroshi Takai and uh, Yoshida on like just the current status of like where they're at in developing uh, the game. Basically, like that, they're now like in the debugging phase, you know, making sure that like everything's polished up and ready to go. So they still have a lot of time uh, to, you know, finalize the game. Obviously, so there, there's not doesn't. If anything, it seems like the development of this game is it's like you know it's shaping up to be way way more stable than past entries. Well, actually, uh, I'm looking at Al- Alex is the one that wrote up the news articles for this. He explicitly says that Jill is the dominant Ashiva. So maybe it's like all but confirmed. I'm not certain if that was ever explicitly said. <laughs> I, I feel I bad, that. but like I, I, it's one of those things. Like, I'm going to play this game. I'm going to not remember any of this info by the time I play this game because and I'm just I'm yeah. that. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's so far off that it's like, OK, sure, whatever. Based on the trailers mm-hmm. alone, I am gonna say that the Blue Kingdom is the Kingdom of Scumbags. That's basically all I got from the trailer. <laughs> I feel like they're the one that send the dragoons trying to kill, trying to do the assassination attempt on the main character. And oh, well, what trailers. if uh, what if there's no good guy, bad guy, like you know, clear cut, and everyone's like kind of initiative during this game? No way. There's always an antagonist side. It doesn't matter who it is. There's always a side that you root for. <laughs> there always has to be a bad guy. <laughs> like even Gundam Seed. I was rooting for the main character to die, so technically the main character is the bad guy. <laughs> Sometimes there's always an antagonist, even if it's the protagonist. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Final Fantasy 16, obviously a major title for next year, still slated for summer, like Josh said. Uh, I'd like to see more gameplay. You get a get, you get a bit of it here, but I almost kind of want to see just like what does the UI look like? How do you like? What so can you much put time on your before character? release? But like, I, I, it's like uh, they have all the time in the world, you know. Like, it doesn't they do, really yeah. Matter. Yeah, but time flies. Okay, it, it, it's not. It's not like this is like if this game was coming out a month and this is the only gameplay that we see, that we'd be like, okay, we're, 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 I'm, I'm wondering now. But this is so far off. It's like it, into a time frame that like I can't even conceive at this point. I'm gonna ask you mm-hmm. a question, Josh. Final Fantasy uh-huh. 16 or Trails into Reverie. <laughs> I mean, I know how Trails of the Reverie is like, so I mean, this one's more interesting, obviously, because I, I this is this is something I don't know about Trails of the Reverie. I've played uh, from beginning to end, so <laughs> they all have the same release date, summer twenty twenty three. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be weird, right? Because I mean, we're gonna get to that new story in a in a bit. Thanks, Chow. But um, you know, it's there. There is. I really wonder what the set dates are for these uh both of these games because. The the overlap, you know, people are going to gravitate more toward FF16, obviously. So if it's set, if 
if Reverie's coming out too soon or close to 16, that'll impact, you know, how it does. We have a couple of other Square Enix related uh, news bits from this week. Uh, one of which is a trademark filing, which our friends over at Gamatsu spotted as they're really keen on doing uh, for two new Square Enix. Seemingly, again, these are trademark filings. So we're extrapolating from a very small bit of data, but these are filings for Saga Emerald Beyond and Ember Storia. So these are two trademarks that were filed um, in Japan. And Saga Emerald Beyond, we don't know specifically what this is referring to, but we have talked about it on this podcast uh, after the announcement of the um, new Saga remasters that they are still working on new projects in the Saga franchise. The natural, the natural you know, extrapolation at that point is that Saga Emerald Beyond might possibly be the title of the new, of the new Saga project that Kawazu and team is still working on. Don't know much other than that, but it, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of nice yeah, to have big, a, a big title feature. to attach to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big, big feature. Square Enix continues to release of video games in the future. So. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. I have a feeling with the saga game is like you know it, each saga main game is going to be uh, represented by a color of some sort. You know, Scarlet Grace as in like red, and Emerald will be green. And having a sequel that would be like blue, it would be like Sapphire or something. <laughs> I mean, that, that, but that's like the like that's a very new thing for Saga, right? Like it's not it's like you know you think about romancy Saga, that's not tied to a color. Unlimited Saga, that's not tied Though, to a color. I do wonder if uh, Chow might be onto something here in the sense that maybe the Scarlet Grace style of Saga games, because it is a very like unique style yeah. of JRPG. Maybe it'll have like a color theme. Yeah, so. I mean, it, like if they if they somehow like evolve, like a build upon the concept and evolve like the Scarlet Grace battle system i'll be fucking thrilled you know oh hell yeah like um, pretty much everyone i know that's like played scarlet grace agrees it's probably like if it's not the best it's like in contention for the best turn-based battle system of all time and that's insane that's so consistently like agreed upon just well wow. yeah, i mean it's it's very it's very like complex but presented very like intuitively so uh, i i agree um if if it's if they're if they're taking elements from that game and like they uh, we should try to implement or uh, evolve that like I'd be that's a great starting point you know <laughs> uh, the starting point of like hey the pin almost the pinnacle of like turn based uh, <laughs> uh turn based battle system let's go Ember Storia is uh, an interesting name though I have no idea what the hell that could even refer to yeah there's there's really not a whole lot we can latch onto there we got the name Ember Storia. Which doesn't like evoke a specific franchise in Square Enix's catalog, I don't think. Uh, so what does it mean? It's a very Square Enix name, I guess. It sounds like something they make. It sounds like the name of a mobile game. Maybe. I, I kind of think it sounds. Like, it sounds like Harvestella and Vestoria. I don't know. Radiant history. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Scar- Saga Emerald Beyond and Amber Storia. We have basically we have titles that we don't have news to attach onto them, um, to tack onto them. But I guess we'll keep those in our back pocket in the back of our heads. And once these are actually a thing, whether they even become a thing, because trademarks don't always do, uh, we'll revisit this and see uh, what we were tipped off on with the filing of these trademarks. I mean, at, at the very least, you know, there's precedent. A Valkyrie Elysium, we first of known you uh, because of a trademark Marline. Dolls a trademark, so you mm-hmm. know there's consistency with Square Enix here. I, I th- maybe like I g- 
the time is running away from me and my brain just doesn't parse it very well, but it feels like it was super rapid where we had the Valkyrie Elysium trademark to the announcement to the game released. And now it's kind of like in the, in the back, in the rearview mirror already. I feel like that's the, that progression is one of the quickest that I've experienced of a game just kind of coming and going, even though once it comes out on PC later in the year, um, maybe I'll revisit that, that train of thought. We, we talked about this previously uh, uh, on a previous episode of the podcast, but of course, Stranger Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, which released uh, earlier this year in March, is still going through its uh, scheduled release cadence for its DLC updates. Um, we have a release date for the second of its DLCs, which is Wanderer of the Rift. This is the DLC that features um, Gilgamesh uh, a new, and then a whole bunch of other new features. And we got a new trailer for this, and this is releasing uh, on the 26th. I might have already said that. Basically, I think Adam has played through Stranger Paradise. Uh, Josh has played through Stranger Paradise. I think James is the only one that played through the um, the first DLC, which is the uh, um, what was the first DLC called? I'm, I'm blanking. Trials of the Dragon King. Right. And you were not very high on it. And you actually like wrote up a feature saying how you thought it was very, very poorly designed. Are you interested in uh, Wanderer of the Rift? I already bought the season pass because you can't buy the DLC separately. So I'll, I'll, I'll oh, try it. <laughs> and it, if nothing it, else, so yeah. it's something I can write about. It's it's one of, it's, a, so it's on, just really weird, right? Because one of the features of this new uh, DLC is there's a new Gilgamesh difficulty level that's only unlocked after you completed Trials of the Dragon Dra- Dragon King. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it is kind of hinting at hey, you can't really play these, but like it, it's hinting that that's they're, they're never going to be sold separately. Because one of the things in it is this is directly tied to like a feature in this thing. It, like, is it's mandatory that you beat the previous DLC to even gain access to a part of this? You know, so it's they're they're really they're tackling on like a lot and a lot and a lot of systems that like I don't know if I'm it, it doesn't really inspire confidence for me to like revisit this game and like try to wade through this. You know, it seems like the uh, the riffs uh, system. So the new gameplay mechanics is not tied to difficulty. Okay. At least the phrasing makes it sound okay. like it's not tied to difficulty. We will see mm-hmm. once the once the DLC actually hits. And in fact, I might this week and actually go through because you said that I finished Trials of the Dragon King. I did not. Mm. I batted my head against the wall with three other people on Xbox Live on the very first fight in the in a Bahamut difficulty for like over two hours until we finally got a clear. And after that, I was just like, I do not want to play this DLC anymore. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was done. Because <laughs> it's like the way they had marketed it sounded like, oh, awesome. There's going to be a few new fights. There's going to be a new optional difficulty. And then like you actually get to it and it's like, no, all the DLC is y- you need to engage with the new difficulty mode. And like the whole crux of my argument with my article back then was, well, what's the point of having multiple difficulty modes in the base game, if you're going to force people to play on this new, even harder than chaos difficulty mode for the DLC. And yes, you can just turn on this option that basically makes you invincible. But it's like, well, if if, if you're going to let them do that in the first place, why not just ha- like design the DLC where the additional difficulties 
optional. It's just part of like, and like the fights are just part of the game. And regardless of the difficulty you want to play on, it'll just let you play the fucking game. You'll be delighted to know, James, that one of the new features in Wanderers of the Rift are called Chaotic Monsters, and they're only available in Gilgamesh difficulty. What's wrong with them? I guess I, I feel obligated to say that I guess there's also a, a new randomly generated dungeon called the Rift Labyrinth and a new class in the uh, the Blue Mage. So it's this not just like, a Blue, Blue, Mage is like, Blue Mage is like a weird new class because there's like a universal mechanic in the game that sort of already makes you a Blue Mage. Where like you can like absorb enemy abilities and then fire it back at them, and this new blue mage class like allows you to like hold charges to make more like powerful versions of those abilities come out. So which is a weird, I guess I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those. It's like why would you add a blue mage class when you already have like a like a blue mage mechanic in the game? Yeah, and right. it feels like they're almost trying to work. Like in the uh, in the newsletter for this Wanderers of the Rift, they say you can do it without expending charges or MP as long as you time it right. Uh, so it's it seems like no, it's actually it actually is better. So yeah, it is possible to activate instant enemy abilities without using up charges and power them up with MP. So I have not played Stranger Paradise, so I don't quite know exactly like where that fits in. But it sounds like they're trying to say like no, 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 it's it's different, guys. It works slightly better than the existing mechanic but i can't speak to it uh directly but yeah that'll be out uh in just a couple days maybe we'll talk about it next week or before the end of the year people get to it but if they don't uh i know i think adam said that he's planning on kind of revisiting stranger paradise once all the season passes out which might be the better uh better take but we will see what we think of it uh, once we have all these things out. And maybe you know, they're, maybe they'll draw, release it out of nowhere on Steam one day, like a certain other title. Yeah, so that's the last bit in our Square Enix little news rundown here. So last year in July, we had the release of Neo The World Ends With You. It originally on the PC front was exclusive to the Epic Store. Once the year had passed, it, no news on whether it was a year exclusivity or what. But in the last week, uh, on the 19th of October, we got a shadow drop for Neo, The World Ends With You on Steam. Just out of nowhere, no no preamble or announcement, just there it was and it was available. I really don't want to put any marketing to this series, do they? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, this is weird, so weird. Like, like there's like, there's like a really badly timed release. It's, like, it's great that it's there on Steam. It just the really day before Persona Five Royal, yeah. you can say, "Oh, well, it's different audiences. People that would want to play Neo: The World Ends with You wouldn't necessarily want to play Persona Five Royal." But it's like, yes, but there is a Venn diagram, and it's almost a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This like when people are going to say, "Hey, what should I get for like these? These games are expensive. What should I fucking get?" It's like, well, Persona Five is like really popular, and a lot of people really, really like think highly of it, and there's a lot of praise for it. To the average consumer, it's like, okay, I'll just get Persona 5 and maybe get this other game later. I, mean, I feel like it's a great game. It's just like, it, it's like, it's just a badly timed release, unfortunately. I, yeah, I feel like it's important to note that going by uh, SteamDB's uh, peak concurrent users, uh, Neo the World Ends with You is less than 230 for peak. Um, Persona 5 Royal is over 31,000. So, like, almost oh, like 150 times more people are playing persona 5 on pc than uh you know the world ends a few that's way higher like th- th- when you tell me that 
Neo was that low. I'm like, man, that stinks, but I guess I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that Persona 5 is that high on Steam. Well, I mean, not in a is, bad way. But. And and keep in mind, that's with all of the people that are going to just be playing it on Game Pass. Like, that's not counting them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not counting Switch players, that's not counting Game Pass players. And like, like if you go on like SteamDB and you check like the peak concurrent for let's say like a never like game like Monster Hunter Rise, it's just shy of two hundred thousand or maybe a bit above. Let me check. Uh, um, but I do know that Monster Hunter World was like close to three hundred thousand or something like that. Like RPGs, especially JRPGs, are way more popular on PC than I think people know. Like, yeah. Monster Hunter World peak all time concurrent users, three hundred thirty four thousand players. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's one of those things with like you know, it's just uh, these are the the Steam charts is like rough estimates, but either way, it's just like the 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 the, the numbers disparity is freaking huge. It's like it's like Square Enix. I just I just wish you just like let people know beforehand instead of just shadow dropping this out of nowhere at a really bad time. Just like just let people know like maybe like a week in advance. Like hey, we're gonna release release this next next week. Isn't that cool? <laughs> this one is just like boom. Here you go. It's like all right, cool. <laughs> and, yeah. and and of course like you know you don't even have like the first world ends with you anywhere else. Like you know. They're, they're, yeah. That's not on PC either. So, a lot, so there's also a certain amount of people that are going to be intimidated by Neil. The world ends with you because they know it's a direct sequel to the first world ends with you. But they know that they they know with Persona Five, like you know, a lot of people already know. It's like, hey, I can play this as a standalone game because these aren't like direct sequels. These games aren't really direct sequels for the most part. Yeah, so, and and setting aside the argument of did they market Neo the world ends with you enough? Honestly. I think that's kind of putting the cart before the horse because they did have the entire like anime adaptation of the first game that was also doubling as marketing for Neo. But I've seen some people say, oh, the reason why it's not doing well on Steam is because it was available on EGS and anyone that wanted to play it would have been. I'm going to be honest here. <laughs> the last like five or six times I mentioned that Neo the World ends with ends with you is on PC. People did not know because nobody fucking knew it came out on EGS. Nobody yeah. knew that the game was already available on PC. I've seen people with the Steam announcement that are like, oh, hell yeah, it's finally on PC. People don't really buy games on Epic <laughs> Game Store. I think like Kingdom Hearts is like the one exception. That's got the Disney like boost to it. Yeah. Adam, I'm, I'm trying to remember. So I'm going to tell like a friend to buy like FF7 remake because it was on Epic Game Store, and they're like, "Nah, I'll just wait for the Epic Game Store." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like with Epic Game Store, it's like there's no point in like unless you absolutely need to play the game at launch. It's like, well, either wait for it to come out on Steam, in which case it's all in one place. It's and especially with Steam Deck being a thing, it's like. I'm going to wait for every fucking game that's on EGS to come to Steam just because it makes it easier to try getting it working on Steam Deck. But second, it's like waiting. It's like eventually those games are just going to be free or there's like a pretty good chance that it will be a free game eventually because that happens. (laughs) Like. It's just. I don't know. I I, Winter Stranger to Paradise coming to Steam. 
I don't know. Any time between now and like till the end of time, uh, because it can, it can just shadow drop it at any time, you know. Oh, shadow drop when Final Fantasy 16 comes out, and I'd be like, why did it bomb again? Hey, they sort, My... of, they sort of shadow dropped Final Fantasy 7 remake also on Steam. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, My, I, they, they, they did, bet... did have that 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 like FF, FF like seven. Yeah, like, they, had, they had the stream event, and it was yeah. announced and dropped there. Yeah. So there was an event that people were looking forward to. My bet for Stranger Paradise is probably around the same time as the final DLC drops, they'll release it on Steam. That'd be my well, guess. Well, for those that, for those, if you're in a small crowd of people that was waiting to play Neil the World Ends With You and specifically on Steam, it is there now. It's on a, a small, like, 20% discount for the first week or so. Uh, so it's like $45 or something like that. I, I closed the Steam page, but on a slight discount for the first couple of weeks, uh, at least. Uh, we have a couple updates for the upcoming remaster of Tactics Ogre with Tactics Ogre Reborn. Now, I briefly looked through these two, uh, these two web newsletters for the game. One of them is specifically focused upon the, the Wheel of Fortune and the Chariot. Basically, the, the, re, the, the time manipulation in order to reenact events and kind of change your route as well as uh, more class and character kind of bios and introductions. Uh, for those that have played the original... I'm going to let you in on a secret, Brian. I, I did that. I, I, I chopped them up into that because there was, a, there was an asset guide on the, on the press site that just had all of these like in one gigantic thing. And I'm like, I'm going to do the, do the same thing I did last time and just, just chop it up because it's a lot of info. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's almost weird how like the... What they've been doing for Tactics Ogre Reborn is almost being like encyclopedic about it, where they're like, we're just going to bio and provide screenshots for every class and every character, and we don't even need a fan to create a wiki on fandom or whatever, because we've got it here. Uh, early on, when they're talking about specific differences between the original game and Reborn, I think it could glean a lot of useful information. And then we also got some more recent information about how the voice acting is and uh, all the things like that. But when I look through your two pretty beefy news posts for the more recent updates about the Tactics Ogre Reborn marketing, a lot of this is just kind of like distilling the game to its most fundamental components. What is the chariot tarot? Uh, tarot? What is the characters? Uh, these are the classes and, the, and these are the roles they play and things like that. But it's not specific to the remake as far as I can tell. It's just how the game operates. Yeah, yeah, there's also like a preview event to some outlets, not us, that uh, that released like like oh like videos on like wow how it's looking. They got like their uh, embargo is like only up to like the first chapter, um, and even then, like like people like um, Coffee Potato, who's like uh, a YouTuber that's like br leaves and br uh, breathes like the Ogre series. Like they're, they're a very excellent like content creator that specifically knows like. The ogre series from ogre battle to tactics ogre from inside and out like that they go like they made like a over one hour video like going very 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 deep into like gameplay mechanics and like basically saying like this is like a really like good like definitive edition about this game with like a lot of smart like changes and enhancements to the game um that like the, the 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 stat cards that they have out on the battlefield and like the and like this a lot of the early leveling of like like since like like units can only have upwards to like uh like four spells and skills on them so they can't be like one man armies anymore so you have to really think about like exactly like what your party composition is going to be as uh, as a as a party together instead of like having a, a unit be like 
be able to do anything and everything stuff like that you know um it's it's a lot it's like the like everything that they've shown like both of these asset guides and everything that they've shown and like like you know from other people have been saying in the previews like this is a like almost like an entirely new game um from everything they've done and that's very exciting like they, they and there's a lot of um changes that and enhances that they made to this game that really lets you key in on like the development team knows what the strengths and weaknesses were in like the past releases of this game and they really wanted to like just enhance it overall and that that makes me very very happy i was just worried about the leveling system but that sounds like it's not much of an issue either yeah the the the, the, the leveling system has been largely like solved um because like even like even if like a, a a unit is behind in levels you can like equip them with charms and like there's like training stages as well that like they, that they just like catch up very fast on leveling um and they and they be they, they tweak the balance so like archers aren't like gods anymore like always a default answer like um coffee potato when i was like watching their video there there's uh, they mentioned like archers are like much more momentum based like they take a bit to get going like they can get really good but they're not like crazy out of the, off the offset like they have to really build up to it to get their offense going uh now yeah so you know like uh, like a lot of like the the news uh, things that they've been showing off like it's it's pretty much what you expect like obviously the the chariot uh, chariot uh, tarot is back so it lets it allows you to rewind turns which is it was not let us cling together but this is like more robust in the way that they do it you know like uh from the start of the game they, they let you go 10 turns back as you progress more you can uh throughout the main story you can go further back and then the it's interesting how they do it in here as well because when you rewind in uh tactics ogre reborn you can actually switch to the other one that you rebound from like the state that state that you rebound from and like you can like pick between like do i like my situation previously or the situation that I'm in now with the changes that I made. And like that's that's really crazy when you think about it, that they allow you to do that. It's like, all right, that, that's interesting that they allow you to like analyze the situation and like favor like, do I like this outcome or this outcome? And like and then allow you to like switch between those. Um and also the the um world tarot, which allows you to um go back into like branches of the narrative and be like okay i uh, it lets you take another route story route in the game while uh keeping all your levels and um skills so like you don't have to like replay like a good chunk of the game to like get to where you want to be like in terms of like story route uh and all that so you know just uh pretty basic stuff but very very robust and everything that i've heard about like seeing the the previews uh, of the game going up this week it's um it's looking really promising. I'm really, really happy and excited for this game. And that having it on PC will just be good for just like uh, having it, you know, in a state going forward where maybe you'll see a mod scene or at least a tweaking scene. I don't know if people will be able to like undo the art style, but it'll be good just for like preservation's sake, just to not have it locked away on a PSP remake or its original release. Um, having it in a place where it's accessible and available and able to run on modern modern uh on easy hardware and things like that just so it's uh, a great game that a lot of people have really high opinions of including here on this podcast and just having it more accessible for those to try out 
Yeah, I know. I know. I know that still always like the 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 main sticking point that people have for this game is like the the, the pixel filtering, and like right. I get it. But like everything aside from that has been like such like a big improvement that like I'm like willing to be like you know what the stra- the pros have vastly outweighed the cons at this point from what I'm reading. You know, um, and yeah, it just it's just it's it's kind of it kind of like a little bit. I kind of. I'm kind of sad for the game in in a sense because I'm very excited, but it feels like no one feels it feels like no one really shares that excitement for this game because whether it's like the pixel filtering visuals or it's the high price tag, it's like fuck, man, they're making like one of the like best fucking tactical RPGs ever, like so much better all around, to, like to make this definitive edition. It's just I don't know. I as we get nearer and nearer to release, I'm getting more and more excited about it, but I feel like I'm just like. I feel like I'm the only one too. Well, it's You're just on got, an like, island. The stigma of a game that's released before. I mean, just look at like was it Shimigami Tensei Free of uh, the remaster? You know, it's a high price tag, and people can't really justify spending on it, right? Yeah, I, I mean, also SMT3 didn't like improve like the game system. I know, but like this game, you know, it's like it, it might, and I also this this might be a bit silly, but I also just think the way this game was unveiled. I won't say it damaged it, but it was just like it was leaked and then it had a store page and all the other stuff we've already gone over several times. But it it was it didn't have like that announcement where it was like it rocketed on out of a Nintendo Direct or something. It was just kind of like, oh, I guess they're making a remaster Tactics Ogre. Oh, I guess it's confirmed. Oh, I guess it's dated for November. Oh, I guess they shared some screenshots. What's this filter doing here? Things like that. Where only nerds like Josh and us who are diving into the nitty gritty of these newsletters are being like, wow, they're putting a shit ton of work into this. And man, all the all the few weaknesses of the uh, of the Let Us Cling Together version from the PSP, they're addressing here and they're they're rebalancing it properly. And maybe the voice acting is not great, but we've got options there whether you want to have it or not. So only those that have looked past the initial kind of lukewarm announcement of this game into what they're actually putting into it are being able to like see the forest for the trees and be like oh this is something that they're really something that'll be good to have on a steam catalog or an eShop catalog going forward and say yeah if you want to play a really good tactical rpg from square enix here you go tactics Ogre reborn um is there for the taking and it's and it's basically a high quality game and one of the best of the genre it's also wild how like square enix has just been on a tactical rpg kick for the last like year or so it seems like but mm-hmm. let, let's say if you're just a casual fan you wouldn't know about those gameplay mechanic changes i'll be like I oh know. the pixel sprite looks like shit i, I know like i know to the, to the average person they'll be like oh this is like an outdated gameplay who cares about turn-based games especially strategy rpgs let alone it, it looks like shit compared to mm-hmm. modern games and they wouldn't so, know all these, it. these like technical changes, which is a very good change, but <sighs> they wouldn't know about it. I know, I know. Just, it's just sad, but it is what it is, I guess. It's okay. Uh, I'll I'll be Tactics Ogre Reborn's strongest warrior if it's like amazing again. Don't worry, I'll buy two copies of this game. I'll, I'll support <laughs> it. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you a question, Josh. If they remastered Final Fantasy Tactics, will they nerf Thunder Guts it? If they if they have the if they have the the same mentality of like retweaking it like with reborn I think they would. Oh no! If they, mm-hmm. they, they want to make it more interesting tactically instead of like the mainstays, um, I think they will. But that 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 that, that, that 
that requires like the right development team for it, um, which it seems like Takisoga Reborn does. So if they have like the same like similar staff working on that and and coming into it into that mindset, then yes. Oh no, not my Thunder God soon. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of like what what am I gonna do if they like if they're ner- if they're so it's like archers have been nerfed and reborn, and I assume like ninjas will as well. Like how what am I gonna do without my archers and ninjas now? And of course, as we have several times over the last couple of months, we have a small section here for the upcoming RPG, Star Star Ocean the Divine Force, here at the tail end of Square Enix's section of our podcast. Uh, not a lot of new information here. We talked last week about the newest mission report, mission report four. And all the details there. Uh, this week, we were we were kind of wondering where the final character trailers were for both the mysterious JJ as well as the red-haired character that showed up in one of the mission reports. I forgot if we got a name at the time, but when the character trailer, it is Theo Kremlert is the red-haired character for Star Wars and the Divine Force. So we got a character trailer for both Theo and JJ. If you remember right, JJ, we got an initial look in with some of the gameplay footage. We were like, who is this like mechanoid samurai character in the party named jj is he just like a temporary character well nope you got a full character trailer for him as well both of these character trailers as of the time of recording have only shown up on square enix's uh home youtube channel so they're only in japanese at the moment seems like there's a bit of a delay getting those out in english as well the character trailers themselves as as has been the case are not inherently that interesting but it kind of outlines who the party members will be so with, with this i believe we're up to nine is it eight or nine i think we've got the full cast here though i think um, i think yeah yeah so uh, all of the characters that have been introduced as likely party members and, and throughout the mission reports uh have been fully uh i guess biography through these character trailers now and then uh the only other uh tangential information that we got for the divine force which releases next week uh is we got the opening movie for the game featuring uh japanese i believe rock singer hyde so i don't have any personal attachment to hyde but he is featured on this opening movie trailer for the game (laughs) yeah so this opening movie trailer is uh pretty silly pretty hype uh but it's there if you want to have some excitement for the game building up before the game's release next week Uh, now that we've got all the characters it's not, it's not finally here. Are you excited? Apparently not. Excited. All right, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were just talking in general, not to me. Well, I asked oh. you. I was like, are you excited? Are you excited, Adam? Sure. <laughs> that, that's that's still, the side of somebody who's really excited. I think he's traumatized from Star Ocean 5. But yep, uh, Divine Force next week. Uh, maybe we'll be able to talk about it on the next week's podcast. Uh potentially could be the week after depending on how uh, if we get access or not before its release date but of course the game that's uh, on our radar from from a few different people here on the cast so likely be able to talk about the game for real real soon uh, at the uh, tail end of our news section here we have a few headlines for some upcoming falcom stuff we've talked about falcom and the legend of heroes uh the newest releases in a few different contexts over the coming the upcoming weeks uh, a couple of just minor updates here. We do finally have an actual release date for the English release of Trails to Azure. Of course, just last month, we got the uh, Trails from Zero official English release. Trails to Azure will launch on March 14th in North America, March 17th in Europe. Uh, I guess March 24th in Oceania. And Nice America then also released a story trailer for the game. 
Actually, is this a new story trailer or is this the one they released a while ago? Because I know they kind of like preempted themselves here for the uh, Azure story trailer. I don't remember. I don't keep track of like what if they are the same trailer. I just know this was a, a new trailer with the release date. I don't know if it's like what the footage. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this trailer is new. It uh, got uploaded on the seventeenth of October. So this, I think, is the least the the less interesting of the two announcements from uh, from Nice America because we kind of figured that Azure would show up around this time frame. But we also got a release window for the upcoming Trails into Reverie, which we also knew was coming in 2023. But it is also a summer release, as uh, preempted by Chow when he talked about the summer release also for Final Fantasy 16. So I had kind of been, I don't know if, been, if I've been ignorant, but I have been kind of treating Trails into Reverie as kind of a, a typical autumn release for Nice America. But no, it'll be a little bit earlier in the summer. So we will have Azure, and then not too many months later... Uh, Reverie as a summer release for the series. So I think this is kind of good. It shows that they kind of are releasing these at a um, uh, a brisk cadence. I don't remember if it's happened as of the time of recording, but I do know that Nice America was having like a voice actor streaming event yeah, for the upcoming that trails was into Reverie. Yeah. Oh, it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, was, it was great because the voice actor of Randy... Uh, did a line read of a very infamous uh, Trails from Zero uh, Geofront uh, line. A problem. Yep. Well, did he do that? Oh, that's that's actually yes. kind of fun. That Nice actually allowed him to do that on an uh, official stream. And the funny thing is, is that nobody asked him to do it. He was just asked, oh. is there like a favorite line that he wasn't able to do? And he brought it up on his own. <laughs> that's kind of fun. I don't know. I like that. I'm smiling hearing that. Um, there are some other yeah. good news with, with it too. Uh, the localization editor uh, Hatsu is back working into Reverie. Uh, yeah, they get they, the, yeah uh, they go by uh, Leona Renee now. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, uh, that's fantastic. You know, she did admit, like a lot of amazing work uh, in uh, the trail series. Back at X Seed, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, it's especially was... great for voice direction because uh, and. <sighs> I'll probably get some heat for this, but I remember when I played through uh, uh, Reverie's Japanese version, Hajimari, uh, that was the first time I was going to hear the Cold Steel cast in Japanese. But I remember hearing like way before then that like a lot of people really swore by, oh yeah, the Japanese cast is way better. The Japanese voice acting is way better. Then I actually listened to it in like, Hajimari, and it's like, I think I prefer the English dub. And I'm usually a sub first uh, type of guy, but just, I don't know. It's like, it'll be nice though to have the original um, voice director for Cold Steel 1 and 2. And did she do stuff for 3? or was? I uh, know if, I'm, she, if I remember right, uh, she was contracted for 3 in, in a small capacity. Yeah, yeah. she so. kind of dropped due to personal reasons, I think. But yeah, she got sick and then she was unable to work as much during the uh, period of it i think and then like cold mm-hmm. steel forwarder was like COVID, so it was it's very much a, yeah but uh, yeah, i know about the voices though i was gonna say i do agree with you with the voices sort of but i do like the the cast like like the female cast more than the than was it in the English version, in the Japanese version, more than the English version? But I, I like like the male cast of the English version way more than the Japanese cast. I will say, opinion. I will say the one thing that kind of uh, shook me is that I remember, like when 
I really did not like Lisa's English voice. So I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear her in Japanese. And then oh, I heard her Japanese. She's even more annoying. Oh, yeah. It's like she's got like a gravelly. It sounds like her VA in Japanese smoked cigarettes for like 10 years, which is weird because she's got that gravelly sound to it when she's supposed to be like 16 or 17 in Hajimari. And it's like, you sound like you are not well. Are you okay? Oh, no, James. Probably a good, probably an example of a, a good voice actress or say you in that case, but just a bad casting, which happens, which luckily we have options now in most cases about playing it in Japanese or English. So a summer release for uh, Reverie. I guess it's good that I decided on a whim to start playing through Cold Steel 4 so I don't have to like have that in front of me before I'm allowed, quote unquote, to get to Reverie. Um, I was originally planning on playing through uh, Zero and Azure again with the official English releases, but at this point I'm saying no. I played them recently enough with the GeoFront translations. I don't, I don't want to play through three Trails games before next summer because at that point I would get worn out. But I'm, I'm genuinely excited for Reverie because based on all accounts from those that played it already, uh, it seems like it's a good bounce back for the series. Uh, it's a reasonably good uh, send off for that arc for that basically that period of the of the Legend of Heroes series of, of the Kiseki series before we go into of course uh Kuro no Kiseki seemingly following after that question the only other Kuro by 2023 I'm guessing Kuro will be early 2024 that's a little bit optimistic but if they're pushing Reverie to be a summer release I don't think it's going to be Kuro holiday release i think that's two two uh shooting yeah but i could see it being early 2024 i will say that there was like a leak for like i think actually i'm not sure if it was like part of the nvidia geforce now thing or if it was something else but people kind of got leaked um release windows for the games and so far it's matched up and the uh, release window for Nayuda is like sep- like late September early October or something huh well we'll see if that uh, comes out and ends up being true in these cases but we've talked in a lot of different contexts about how Nice is going to need to handle trying to quote unquote catch up for all the Falcom releases and it sounds like they're doing as admiral job as they can I know people have different opinions on how well their actual uh, localization efforts are but I think no one can complain about Reverie being a summer release and Azure being out not too many months after Zero and getting both the crossbow releases out officially in English rather than just skipping those in pursuit of getting Kuro out uh, sooner. So kind of one oh, of those Brian, things. Where I, was... want, I want Azure, Reverie, Kuro, and Kuro 2 in English next year. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, give and take. I know, I know you're being blind about <laughs> it, but I think considering the constraints, their options were to skip Crossbell entirely and have that just be kind of like a weird void era that people have to like glean from a fan translation or on a wiki. With at the expense of Kuro being pushed out a little bit, but yeah, and I'll just say this because I've seen some people on my timeline. It's not one specific person I'm calling out here. It's like multiple people. I can understand being upset that the crossbell releases have taken so long, but you have to consider two main things: the people that you want to do Hajimari, well, Reverie's translation justice, have to be familiar with crossbell. And mm-hmm. what Nisa probably did is they probably 
when they did their second editing pass, well, their additional editing pass with Zero and Azure, is they probably had the same editors that were going to be working on Reverie do those first. So that's probably why Reverie's translation's taken so long, because if you want to make sure that you're catching all of those references, and keep in mind, not only is like, we can have arguments like until everyone's blue in the face about where you can start with the Trails games. But there are specific entries in the series that you have to have played previous games to, to get to. Like Trolls in the Sky the Third, you have to play FC and S Seed. Obviously, Azure, you need to play Zero. Obviously, Cold Steel 4, you need to play Cold Steel 1 through 3. Reverie, you need to have played everything. You need to have played yeah. specifically Crossbell and Cold Steel. You could technically not play Trolls in the Sky, but if you're going to be playing that many games to begin with, play trails in the sky but it's like i can sympathize with nis america here because even though it's taken long and, and you could argue maybe a little bit too long i can understand the thought process that might have led to this because if you really want to make sure that the translation for reverie is as good as it can be this was the only way they could have done it I'm not sure if uh, Josh or um, Chow agree or disagree, but I, I would agree because there will be a sense of continuity. Because if you switch editors, they might not translate certain reference as the same, and it, it probably causes a lot of issues. You know, it's it's better to have that one person working in the thing for the whole. I mean, the the the, the, the I mean, one thing the one thing you hear very consistently about localization and localization editors and anyone who's involved in localization, like the one of the biggest biggest piece of advice they always say is make a glossary make a glossary it'll make your life much easier because glossaries allow you to get consistency out of like say long-running series and like like agreed upon terms etc cetera, etc cetera. and it, like like you know, the weird thing here with like uh, with the trail series how it, how it was handled from like exceed to this america you basically if you're going to go with a new team like um localizing these like it's gonna be hard try to try to get consistency from scratch one or like from from square one. Um, you you have to refer to a glossary, pretty much that was like built up over time and with read upon terms and to, for consistency's sake and for accuracy's sake. You know? Yeah, and like even if it's not quite the same people doing the editing for Crossbell and and Reverie, it's still a case of before you start really editing reverie or even translating hopefully you'd want to make sure that you have all of that shit in the glossary already and that means that you have to go through that pass with crossbow first and, 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 yeah you like not, like nothing is perfect perfect also like so remember when exit had to change uh zin's name from zane to zin yeah it was it was yep. zane to zin and hummel to hummel i believe were like the two big ones or what yeah. was hamel initially i don't remember it was, it was something different yeah. <laughs> they had some issues back back in those days. I mean, there were like characters that had like Oriental origins, and they have like Oriental names, and they were changed into like generic English names too. So, yeah, and that got corrected when they were re-released from the PC versions. But the PS yeah, for, yeah. for those issues, the, the handoff from Exceed to uh, Nice hasn't been perfect. But considering how it could have ended up, the fact that XE like updated their PC releases with a with a more accurate like translation for places like Zen and uh, names like Zen and Hamel, and then it's been consistent through Nice America's releases. It's 
at least from an outsider's perspective who's not in as deep and doesn't play the games in Japanese, it's it could have been a lot worse. And I think it's turned out yeah. all right. And it's, especially now that we're looking at Reverie and it's getting a simultaneous release on PC, Switch, and PlayStation consoles where six yeah. years ago that wasn't the case. It, you would have these weird staggered releases. And I remember Adam having to like write news stories like here's the release date for Cold Steel 2 on PlayStation and now on PC and then on Switch. And oh, by the way, here's Nice America's release of Cold Steel 3 on Switch later. And yeah. now that it only has one release date tied to Reverie in English, Obviously, the gold standard would be to, at some point in in a Paradise or an Elysium or whatever, have simultaneous releases. Who knows if we'll ever, ever get there. But the yeah. fact that we don't have these new staggered console shifts yeah. based on different publishers or whatever, we're in a better place now than we were, in my opinion. Yeah. Can I, can I so. get on? I guess I was already a bit on a high horse uh, for a bit there. But there's one thing I do want to say that kind of grinds my gears quite a bit. Obviously, NIS America has their fair share of issues with localizations. Like, everyone knows this. It's it's well understood. The thing that gets me is that when it comes to trails specifically, there's, there's a number of reasons why we're in the situation we're in now. But would this crosspell problem have even been a problem where we had to wait for a company to go through crosspell if the way that Trolls in the Sky's second chapter was handled back in the day was handled better. Because I feel like people forget exactly how that went down, where Exceed, um, because they wanted to focus on other games, because like first chapter almost bankrupted the company because it was on the PSP. It did not do well at all. They had Carp Folger handle the translation at first. And what ended up happening is that by the time the deadline for Cart Folger came, like the scripts weren't done. And what they had there, they basically had to redo the translation from scratch. So, like, completely ignoring the issues they had with like getting uh, um, first chapter and second chapter on PC at the time, that was like a wasted essentially two years because the first entire like translation that they were expecting was a wash and they had to redo it from scratch. And two years doesn't sound like a lot, but when it comes to like localizing games when you're trying to catch up, that adds up. And no, I mean I'm not I'm not the last like eight years of generation usually goes. Yeah. And they pretty much missed that window. I mean if they were able to translate that window, I think we might be seeing something different. We might even end up seeing the crossbell games being released on the Vita with English localization. No, that would have never happened. Do you don't think that so? would have never there's there's other extenuating circumstances with Exceed that they wanted to do the crossbow evolution games, but there was reasons why they could not. Oof. Fucking Katakawa. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not like, surprised. You know, I'm not it, surprised it, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a lot of like, yeah, the, sure, like, uh, could have, would have, like, if things happened differently. But, you know, but the... the I'm the, not the blaming reality. any yeah. one individual company here. I'm just saying yeah. that when people strictly lay the blame at Nisa's people... Or, I understand the frustration. I understand that the argument that maybe things could have been faster, but when you like look at the history that this series has had in the West and everything that's led up to this point, and you really think about it, it's like, yeah, this sucks, but for the purposes of a better translation for Reverie and to make sure that these two crucial games for the series' uh, history aren't just locked to, oh, well, you better have a PC, you better be Final Fan translations. 
like people that say, oh, they should not have done crossbell because anyone that cared would have done fan would have played the geo front patches. What is wrong with you? I mean, those people are unreasonable and like you'll never change their minds. That's the thing, right? Like they won't, they won't spare another second thought on it. And that's, that's a shame, but that these people are married to their opinion and they're yeah. about it, you know? Well, so, like, I, yeah, I don't want to drive for this. Me, uh, for me, yeah, for me, I'm not, I'm not gonna like, you know, I don't really like to dwell in the past about it. Like the, 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 the history of the series, both, you know, and, and the, the Kiseki the, the curse <laughs> and all the localization, you know, woes and the stories behind that, and, you know, and the real tragedies behind that, honestly, like, you know, it's, it, there are very dark times uh, that across that whole uh, entire era, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I just, would like to say, as an aside, I'm very glad that Kart Fulger, at least, I forget the name of the exact person, but the person that, yeah, Andrew. I'm glad that he is, seems to be in a much better spot right now. And didn't he do like a translation for a Super Robot Wars game like a year and a half ago or something like that? I think I think I think he was involved in like yeah. I think it was either T or Thirty, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like he 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 was involved in that in some capacity. I did you know a fantastic job. So yeah, yeah it's just you know like the the the, the stories about that are about his you know exper- unfortunate experiences like you know during that whole localization process of second chapter. You know I'm glad that. They're in a very, very much better place, uh, you know, these days, and was able to see, you know, see see today from that. And like like I said, though, like it's just this this is reality that we live in now. And like Brian mentioned earlier, like I'm I'm glad that like it's a, at a state where like where we could all like move forward together, you know, and that that's fine. Like it eventually, you know, come hell or high water, this just trail series. Will end one day in Japan, and one day, you know, all of these games will be localized and be available, and people can put it behind them. <laughs> you know, that's a that, that that's a that's a that's my uh, that's the real excitement I have is like one day all this will just be this nightmare history. will eventually end. <laughs> you know, and and hopefully, you know, somewhere in in the future, you know, Falcom and its localization partners can get their pipelines together and like be able to maybe you know feasibly see a simultaneous worldwide release moving forward you know as many other companies have uh transitioned into uh these days you know and uh, to, to me i think about an optimistic future and i don't like to dwell on like you know the things that already happened things that we can't change you know mm-hmm. so that, that, that that's how i see the situation it's like well we'll, we'll get there you know that's yeah no big deal like as, we'll as rough as it is now uh, i i do believe that when you like lay everything out and you can kind of see why these decisions were made the way they were, it, you can tell that it was for the purposes of look, this block blockage was always going to be there. We can't ignore it. We have to deal with it now because it will also help with the translation quality. Once we get past the bump that is crossbell and reverie, hopefully we can start really catching up and like looking at the release cadence that they have lined up, like pro in early 2024 seems like it might be possible. And that would yeah, certainly be, yeah. Think of it. It's zero Azure and reverie within a calendar year. Like can't ask for much better than that for a pace to try to keep up. If they've released them any faster, it would literally just be like eating their own sales and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, and yeah, if you also think about like you know, least America is not a Falcom that not beholden to Falcom exclusively. They have so many other projects that they have to prioritize and work on. Well, know? except they've been prioritizing Falcom. That's the reason why Ge- uh, Galeria is only coming out early next year. I know, but the, like, no, this it's, it's, it's more, yeah, it's, it's it's more than Galeria. It's more than uh, you know, more than Disgaea. They have you know a lot of Monster other menu they've got like and hey they're starting to release some of their like adventure games like their and i said like yeah uh, like yeah i mean whatever like growing pains or well i want maybe not growing pains whatever issues like nis america might have when it comes to like sloppiness of localizations here and there it's like at the end of the day like their own games they're they're one of those smaller companies where there's really not that many really small like double a like not even really double a there's not really many companies of nis's size that so consistently puts out such experimental titles like consistently and it's like just focusing Mm -hmm. on NIS America's like work on Falcom stuff, it feels kind of unfair to everything else they're putting out. That's kind of a good point. The only the, the last bit here, and we, we won't, won't dwell on this, but uh, NIS America did also announce that in spring of next year, they will be releasing uh, East 9 Monstrum Knox on PlayStation 5, which I don't know how significant this is because you can already play Monstrum Knox on PS5 with its PS4 version upported. But this will just be a native PS5 version for the game uh, next spring. Yeah, and they released. Just, uh, like, they're just for people like you know who haven't played it yet. This definitely not for mm. like people who already played it, you know, in some way, shape, or form. It's just like, uh, sure, why not? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good RPG. So for, for people who want to play uh, like a decent action action RPG on their PS5, you know, they, they here's something for you. Yeah, I even and asked like. I even asked NS America about this because they had this like Discord like little press thing where they announced this or ahead of time. And I asked, well, isn't the PS4 version 4K60 on PS5 already? So like, what's the? Is there like a like graphical updates or anything? And like, Alan Costa, like one of the main people over at NS America, said, at well, it, this is very explicitly not for people that already own East Nine. If in fact, if you already own East Nine. Of course, they, they'll want you to pay for it if you're if you're willing to. But they outright they outright told me if you already own East Nine and you own a PS Five, there's no real reason for you to buy this. Oh, yeah, that, that, this reminds me about a little fun fact about this uh, news story. So, like in the press email that we got, um, you know, the, the, there's gonna be like your typical like, hey, this will bundle all the previously released cosmetic DLC that came out for this game. And they the first version of the press email, they specifically worded it as, it'll bundle all the cosmetic DLC that came out on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita. I'm like, did this game come out on Vita in Japan or something? I had to go jump up and check. (laughs) I loved playing it at 5 FPS whenever I was exploring the city. Obviously. And and then they had to update update the thing to be like, oh, you know, on all previously released platforms, you know, taking out like that that hiccup of like, uh, because obviously they probably just like copied it, pasted it from like the East East 8. 8, Yeah. yeah. So that was funny. That was like, wait, did this come out on (laughs) V? I'm like, no way. (laughs) 
Do well, we know if East 9 PS5 is going to be full price or if it's going to be like 40 or something? Because I have no clue. They didn't say the price tag for this. I have to imagine it has to be. Uh, I, if, if East 8 is like on a discount, like 40 bucks, then I assume this is, will follow suit. So whatever the price tag is for East 8 on PS5 is, yeah. I assume this will have the same price. I think well, that's actually, discounted. Actually, what, what am I talking about? If I'm going to get this, I should get it on PC. I already own a PS4 copy in Japanese. Yeah. So. Play it on your Steam Deck. Yeah. Only a couple other small headlines here. Uh, one of is we learned a couple weeks ago about how the January, I believe it's January, One Piece Odyssey. That is January, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, so One Piece Odyssey coming out in January. We learned uh, that not only will it be an original story, but it'll have some sort of memory sequence where the cast of the show can relive their events of the Alabasta arc from early One Piece. Well, we got a gameplay trailer basically showcasing uh, that stuff. And it's quite a long trailer. It's seven minutes of gameplay from the Alabasta area of One Piece Odyssey. And it pretty much, like, whenever we see trailers and I say, like, I wish we saw more raw gameplay. I wish we saw what the UI looked like. I wish we saw what the battles looked like. That's pretty much what this game is. It showcases just, like, using abilities in battle, what the battle victory results screen looks like, how undertaking side quests looks, how just exploring the fields looks. So this is truly, I know sometimes publishers will release quote unquote gameplay trailers, but they'll make it like as cinematic as possible. Well, this doesn't, this isn't really that. This is a gameplay trailer like through and through at its heart. So if you're at all interested in One Piece Odyssey, uh, I would suggest looking, just taking a look at the uh, Alabasta gameplay trailer. Because they're pretty much just kind of. I don't know anything about One Piece. That's hard to answer because it seems like at first (laughs) they're like, no, it's original story. You know, you don't have to have caught up or whatever. Uh, Uh But now they're like, well, I whenever they're like trying to wink and nudge, like you remember this from Alabasta? You remember this character? You mean you like this part of the the show, right? right?" (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You tell me. Well, do I like it? uh, Alabasta. It's. I, th- I think it's 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 one of the more like well regarded arcs of the series, even though it's pretty old now. But it's I think a lot of people really like the antagonist of Alabasta. The you know Vivi is a fan favorite character for a lot of good reasons. Um, so I oh, say well, you should try it if you have any. Uh, why is it, you don't why is it this ble- why is it this Bleacher or Demon Slayer? I, I know those those uh, series. I don't know One Piece. Uh, maybe uh, Elka or ILCA will get on those after this. Oh, I'm gonna write who, an email for them. Yeah, who do we have slated to uh, review this, Adam? Do you know? I don't think we have anyone yet. Not not slated yet. We should give this to Chow. Damn, Chow is the, he's, yeah, he's the one that plays <laughs> us all these uh, anime RPG adaptations. Because this one, I, I think, uh, uh, seems promising. I'm not qualified to review this game. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I've read 50 chapters of one. You're more games. qualified than I am. <laughs> what? You're more qualified than I am. No way. I, I, you were a hundred percent more qualified, dude. I, I fucking referred to this character as Nico, and Adam was like, "Hell no, it's Robin." Thank you very much. Chow's getting a uh, Chow's getting war flashbacks to the last uh, anime uh, uh, tale you had to <laughs> review. Look, I, I have never played a good anime adaptation video game. I have Little Witch Academia. Oh I man! Had... Oh man! Chow I... here. Chow here did didn't have a childhood. He didn't get to play Legacy of Goku two on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, oh. Chow. you didn't get to uh, uh, play the keynote that was Ultimate Battle twenty twenty two. Oh god! <laughs> I thought it had a good art style for its time. 
Like, man, that came with some serious dog shit. <laughs> and then the last two pieces of news here are just some upcoming uh, Switch ports. Even though I guess, I guess one is Switch and PC. That is for Digimon World Next Order. This game originally released back in 2016, 2017. Uh, but Bandai Namco has announced that it will be launching for Nintendo Switch and PC via Steam in February of next year, so February 2023. It's currently available on uh, Vita and PS4. And then the other Switch announcement that we got for uh, next year, for March 2023, is that we're getting a Switch port for Record of Agorist War. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. This originally released back in 2007 through 2010. It's currently available on uh, PC, 360, mobile, and PS3. But now we'll also have a Switch version uh, next spring. I laughed oh. when I saw this press release. <laughs> okay. And a friend of mine it as the Kasoge who that wouldn't die. I, I think the funniest <laughs> thing is is that like originally this game was a Vita version, but I'm not even sure if it's fair to say that that the Vita version should even should even count because it was blatantly unfinished, and then the PS4 version finished it. Are we talking about Digimon World or Agress now? Okay. Oh. Yeah, we just said we kind of skipped over the Digimon World next order for some reason, but I wanted to comment that they're actually no adding one commented like, on it. I'm so sorry. So we have you went through it so fast. Well, I just I it seemed like no one had feedback on Digimon Next Order, so I'm like, all right, let me go to the next headline. <laughs> All right. No, I'm gonna Here's your chance Digimon. to talk about Digimon. Okay, so say what you're gonna say, James. I guess both of that, but I guess both James and I just fucking blinked. And <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I, I heard, I, I heard switch and laugh, and I was like, well, I can understand that reaction. That that seems like a reasonable reaction to this game getting a random port on Switch and PC. What five years later? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, for um, they, like they're adding new stuff, like a run, uh, and I think another thing for it, like yeah. making less shit. I I I remember it not getting great great reviews back in the day. I um, oh, I remember it critically wasn't well received, but because but I think part of that was it came after Digimon Story, so a lot of people kind of expected it to be like Cyber Sleuth, and it's like no, this is Digimon World. Get your yeah. Digimon right. <laughs> uh, but like even even Digimon World fans were like. This is like the Digimon. World I don't know. Like, I don't know. I know a lot of Digimon World fans. Maybe the Vita original was was hot garbage. Maybe I'm looking at my shelf. I realize. All, all right, Digimon World fans, you gotta you gotta listen up to this point in the podcast and let us know what to think about Next Order because I don't remember. Was, was Digimon World Next Order a Kusoge or Hidden Kino? Sound off in the comments below. Make it a Twitter. Mm -hmm. We need to no. We need to make this a Twitter poll. We need to make this <laughs> 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 The people <laughs> must know. The people must know. But uh, I don't know. I, somehow really I own this, a Vita copy of this and a PS4 copy of this. So so maybe you'll buy it on PC or Switch. Just keep the streak going. I, I don't know what played either. I, yeah, I, I I played Cyber Sleuth, but I I I played the the original like Digimon World One and Two on like PS One back in the day. I. I didn't get the next order for some reason. I was like, I don't know. I don't really care. But maybe it's good. Maybe it's good. Maybe it being on PC like is awesome or something. I'm not sure. All I know is like there was like a producer message along with this announcement, and they're basically reconfirming that they already previously confirmed that they're working on more Digimon games, like like they previously 
shared that they were working on like a Digimon game that was about what was it out of the twelve Olympians or something? It was something like that. I don't. I don't know my Digimon. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm gonna, I, I probably really botched it about the, the 12 Olympians, but I have no idea. But they said they're working on that and like whatever the next Digimon story is. Next. So I did just double check. The uh, Switch and PC version is coming six years after the PS4 release. Let's go! And almost seven years after the original Vita release. Why did they decide that now was the time to do a, a quote-unquote like re-release remaster? Because Digimon survived no. sold so well and they're like, holy shit, we gotta cash in. You know you're joking about that, but when I was when I was going through Steam DB because I was like, hey, I wonder how Digimon survived it. Did you know that it that it peaked at like twenty five thousand viewers on Twitch and it had over six thousand people concurrently playing on Steam? That game actually did well. It's definitely more successful than Neo. <laughs> Dang, <laughs> that's fucked up. Um, I mean, that's great, I guess. <laughs> I'm very happy for Digimon Survive. Um, while, sure. while you guys have been talking I've been looking and like can I do a poll on TweetDeck on their RPG account Digimon <laughs> World Order colon Kino or Kusage <laughs> Digimon World Next Order colon Next Order <laughs> very important you but specify if, if, the game uh, uh, yeah put it in that context too you just have to like just th- th- those are just the only words that's it <laughs> okay um, we'll do if you uh, see that you know who to blame and it's not me <laughs> um uh, make sure that instead of it being an O, it's a zero for uh, the order. Yeah, technically, course. that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah, unforgivable that Adam would obviously miss that. I don't. Um, uh, and then the second one, the uh, Axis Games bringing Record of Agris War to Nintendo Switch in the next March. The I, I laughed too, Adam. By the way, when I read this, I'm like, I guess for this game is certifiably not good, but. You will, I mean, you, you will, you will, you will trick some people into playing this video game on their Switch. I was year. almost, I was almost gonna say something, but I did not want to be mean to Hyperdimension Kieran. What the fuck? Just say it. Say it. What the fuck? Uh, that uh-huh. uh, neither are Neptunia, but that hasn't stopped Idea Factory from releasing Neptunia one like six or seven times. Ten thousand percent right. Damn it! Fuck. What the HP really stands for? No, well, maybe at some point. It's like GOG and good old games. Like GOG used to mean something, and now just GOG. So mm-hmm. that's, I remember there was a whole thing. Something. I remember there was a whole thing where they said goodoldgames.com is shutting down. And then it was like a whole set where it's like, because we're rebranding to GOG.com. Yeah. <laughs> um, Record of Agris 4 is. It's. I don't know. I don't even know how you describe it. It's like it's like a, a generational strategy RPG where like you you play with a certain party and then like you and then you and then eventually you um, hook up with one of the one of the one of the girls and then you play the next generation and their family and it's like a grind and not really that interesting and very slow and. I was thinking, I was like, was this the first PS3 RPG? And I was like, no, that's Omega Quintet, I think. Or no, that's PS4. Yeah. So, was this the first PS3 RPG then? I can't, I can't remember the, the, the uh, like RPG before Record of Agorist War. Sounds like PS3. that. Uh, what's that uh, Records called? of Agorist War was 2007. When was... Uh... Like, 
I, I guess unless you, I think, I think Untold Legends or Dark Kingdom or whatever was that a PS3 launch? I'm trying to remember a PS3 launch if there was an RPG, but that was like an action RPG ish thing. But I don't know. It was one of the earliest PS3 games, and like just hot garbage. And they continued to make more, which is like the the fucked up part. Like Idea Factory is like, let's make more, and then they eventually stumbled onto Neptunia by accident, and that sold unfortunately. And here we are; they're still on Neptunia. I Fish. I'm so sad that a Fairy Fencer F like SRPG released like a month and a half ago. It did so poorly; it did not even make top thirty the week uh, it released. <laughs> Really? I forgot that game existed until you like reminded me and I was like, did anyone say anything? Yeah, and it's funny because it's like I, I was like um I was on install base because every like week I check just because I'm curious of like the Japanese weekly sales and I remember the week it came out, people were talking for a couple pages and then somebody just mentioned, Oh yeah, this game came out during this uh this week and it didn't even chart, and then people were like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, another hot game coming soon, eventually, probably overseas. Well, I mean, it could be good. It's just that theoretically, yeah, on paper. I mean, we'll, we'll be pioneers. We'll be exploring the oh. uh, lost frontier of the Fairy Fencer F uh, reboot slash SRPG to see if it's any good because there sure as hell is no Japanese impressions to go off of. All right, Chow, we're citing you Fairy Fencer F strategy RPG. Jesus, I haven't. I even think it's it called Refrain Chord. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. It's an Idea Factory game. It doesn't move the plot forward. It's just retelling. Are you excited, Chow? As excited as playing Kusoge. <laughs> All right, you're already in the right headspace. There you go. <laughs> One of these days, we'll assign Chow a good game. Well, at, with those two Switch spring releases for next year out of the way and straightened out, uh, that kind of covers us covers us for this week. So kind of a lot of a catch-up week for the final wrap-up of Square Enix's releases in their insane 2022. Uh, obviously, a continual focus on Falcom and Trail series and getting all those games as they release at a rapid cadence. And then, of course, all the other stuff for the upcoming releases as we get late into the year. Thank you to both Adam and Josh for talking about some of the uh, kind of undercard releases in Batora Lost Haven and Kaiju Monster Rancher, as well as look back at 428 Shibuya Scramble from Chow and Final Fantasy 14 from Josh, sorry, James, as well as looking at, of course, the recent release of Persona 5 Royal on all the platforms. You can find RPG Site on all the social media feeds. If you search for RPG Site on primarily Twitter, but also Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, you can find us there. On the YouTube, uh, James did put up some PC gameplay footage from Persona 5 Royal. Uh, so if you're not sure exactly what that looks like at a high resolution and frame rate, go ahead to our YouTube channel and go go take a look for yourself. Uh, we also have our Discord. This. I'm going to preempt this because people notice the issue in the video. Uh, there is a graphical, like, uh, like artifacts, like during the video, whenever there's an all out attack that is not present in my local copy, YouTube fucked up, complained to Google. <laughs> ah, thanks for that. Thanks for that uh, clarification. You can also join our discord channel if you want, if you go to discord.gg slash RPG site, and we'll be back uh, next week with another edition of the Tetracast. And on the site side here, we're going to start looking into how we're going to scope out the end of the year stuff because it is not too far away. So look forward to that. Within a couple months, we will have to deliberate all of these releases over the last uh, 12 months. 
including back to last December, and decide which ones we liked best for this year. So that's kind of a reminder to us on the si- on the staff side here that uh, we have a lot of decisions ahead of us uh, in the coming month and a half or so. But thank you so much for listening. If you listen to us either on the YouTube or on the directly on the site uh, post or on Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts, let us know how we're doing. Give us some feedback. Give us comments. We love reading those. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we can improve on. Uh, and beyond that, thank you so much for listening. If you made it to the end, stay safe and take care, and you'll hear from us next time.